Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. Boy, did we miss y'all last week. We're so sorry for not having an episode. We're going to make up for it this week with a very enthusiastic episode. Ross and I and both are in good spirits, surprisingly. Speak I'd like to say yourself, Tannen. I'm tired and cranky and I want a nap. Look, you say that and you look like it, but I hear the excitement behind those eyes. And I look like it. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm, I'm looking at my camera now and I definitely no, look, look a little disheveled. See, here's the thing. You look better now that you're looking at the camera because like, now you have a grin on your face and you're, you have some light in your eyes. When I first made this call about 20 minutes ago when we were chatting about what we're going to talk about on the show and stuff today, doing our pre-show routine, you looked like death. <laughs> like, well, I mean not death, but you looked hungover, you know, at least. You looked like sluggish. Yeah, though I haven't had a drink in like, ooh, maybe like a week and a half. Do, do you get do you get coins for that? Like, I feel like <laughs> you should get some extra stuff for that. It's been, it's, it's been a bit, so... You know, my alcohol consumption is actually, like, very, very low during the quarantine, which is surprising, right? Like, you're just sitting at home with nothing to do. I think there's a chance that uh, it does, like, not ratchet ratchet up a bunch, but, like, go up a tiny bit with uh, baseball being back on right now and watching the games. But, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to last very long because I don't think the season's going to continue. Can we talk about this for a minute about what's going on in baseball right now? Well, yeah, sure, I guess. I mean, it, it's it's just a fucking clown show. Have, yeah, have you seen what's going on with the Florida Marlins right now? Well, obviously it's one of the Florida teams, but yeah, they're all dead. They're all dead. Yeah, by the way, real quick, just want to throw this out there: the Atlanta Braves are playing Tampa right now in Tampa. Well, they they play in Atlanta today. They're doing like a home and home series, yeah. but they were in Tampa for a few days. And if I was anyone in Atlanta who had like any say, I would just been like, "Don't leave your hotel room. Hotel room, field, field, hotel room. That's it." Literally, I don't want you out of anyone's sight except for when you're sleeping or in the shower. Like, And speaking of that, uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but Florida's next uh, Florida's next opponent, I think it's like the Washington Nationals or whatever, they voted to not go to the games, which like it has to be approved by Major League Baseball, but I don't know what they're going to do if baseball's just like, no, you have to go, and they're just like, make us. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Call. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like, I'm not going there. For anyone who doesn't know what we're kind of alluding to here, uh, the Florida Marlins are a baseball team, and uh, a couple That's days a stretch, ago, but okay, yeah, it's a stretch. Yeah, they're an organization that play in Major League Baseball. Let's put it that yeah. way. Hey, they've won two World yeah, Series. Yeah, two time, the last two time World years. Series champion. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then and then you saw the roster the next year, right? Like immediately after winning the World Series, like sell everyone. Yeah, yeah. That's how Boston got Josh Beckett. Yeah, exactly. There's 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 some good and bad deals involved in those. Uh, Florida got a good deal in the, out of that too, by the way. But anyway. Yeah, that's how they got Hanley, right? Yeah, so they got Hanley Ramirez and, and some other some other decent players switched hands back and forth in there. There was there Don't was worry, more. Boston got Hanley back eventually when he was yeah. not good. <laughs> yeah, everything kind of like came full circle there, but yeah, yeah. Um anyway, um Florida had a multitude of players test positive for COVID nineteen. Like like a lot. I think the original report was the first report was yeah, it was like well the first report 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 was like nine, right? And they're like they have like nine people. Here's where it starts to get bad. They get a positive test result on like four of them to begin with, right? And they hold a vote on whether to play their next game or not with those players, right? And they decide to play the game with the people who tested positive, right? Then we find out that some of the strongest voices for playing the game also tested positive. Like either before or after. I don't know. The, the, the timelines are murky. Now more people are testing positive and more people, like every day, it's like, hey, a few more Marlins tested positive, a few people in the front office tested positive. There's a literal outbreak going on through the, the the Florida Marlins right now. And so all their games have been like suspended or canceled. 
They're trying to redo the whole schedule. All the teams that are going there is like, yeah, fuck this. Like, hands up. Like, don't, yeah. I'm, no. Like, the, not The Marlins season has been suspended. Yeah. Like, are, are you, can you play baseball in a hazmat suit? Like, is that a thing that could, like, can you imagine, like, nine hazmat suits running around on a field? I, I played wiffle ball in dress shoes, and these are professional athletes. So I'm sure they can manage. Yeah. I was supposed to say, you were actually pretty impressive in those dress shoes, by the way. I think that was, like, one of the more impressive things. That and your level of coordination. I was not expecting your level of coordination, but what you're not you don't look like that athletic of a dude but it's fine uh neither do i so it's it, to be fair neither do i sometimes but i surprise people i want to i want to say a few things here i think this is gross negligence i think this is fucking dangerous what oh, they're doing it's horrific it's horrific and i think people should have to pay for this i don't like mean like monetarily like how do you not like don mattingly their 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 coach manager the people in the higher like, whoever made this decision which no one's going to rat on each other like we know how this works in baseball Whoever made this, you you should just be, like, they should kick you out. Like, you should be suspended. You should not be paid. You should be fired. Like, this is unforgivable. We've just we've just gone through in the last year this whole scandal with Houston and their cheating, right? And the entire baseball community was apoplectic about it. This is worse. Objectively worse. We're going to tan and tangent here. Trademark is coming. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but do you know who Joe Kelly is? Oh, I did see this. <laughs> Have you seen the t-shirts that say yes. 2020 MVP on them? <laughs> yes. So Joe Kelly's a reliever that used to play for Boston. He now plays for the Dodgers. And uh, famously, you know, the Astros got in trouble for cheating. One of the teams they cheated against to, to do really well in the World Series was the Los Angeles Dodgers. Well, that series Kelly, went to seven, right? Yeah. And so Kelly now plays for the Dodgers. And Joe Kelly got to pitch against the Houston Astros last night. And we finally started getting to see some of the, the, the things that we thought would happen a lot this season if a normal season occurred, where um, it was like 3-0 to Bregman, uh, one of the star players, probably the best player on the Houston Astros right now. Um, there was a 3-0 count to him. And there was a fastball thrown way outside, except not on the other side of the plate, on the inside part of the plate. It was like behind him, right? And you could see it on his face. He was like, all right. He like, took his gear off or walking to first. And then Kelly struck, struck out the next guy in Carlos Correa or whatever. And I'm trying to remember the exact quote, but they, they had a little fisticuff on the start because coming off the mound, Kelly gives him a little look, a little smirk, and goes, nice swing, bitch, or whatever. And he had like a, a swinging strike. And obviously, Carlos Correa didn't like that and said something back. And uh, Joe Kelly, I know they can't see him at home, but Joe Kelly hit him with the uh, the pouty face. You know, the, mm, you know the, like the lower lip that goes down. Like, what, are you sad, bro? Because here's the thing. If you're a Houston athlete right now, like if you're an Astros athlete, and you were, especially if you're part of those teams that were cheating, and something like this happens to you, just wear it, just just take it. Don't don't fight back and expect someone to have sympathy for you. Like, you know, don't be like, oh, the guy threw at me. What do you expect? You took millions of dollars from people and are, and a championship from multiple people, probably. You know, like you you hurt careers, you hurt people, right? And like, it's not as bad as what's going on with COVID because this is like actual health. It can you know, yeah, risk a life and of so someone. Just think about you know, if you're a baseball fan and you remember how long and how much airtime and energy uh, that scandal took, and people put into it, and how mad everyone was. This is objectively worse. Oh yeah, this I, is I, unconscionable. Yeah, I like, don't know if it's really a debate, right? Yeah. Like, and you, you can also compare back to March when the NBA season got suspended because of the Gobert and Donovan Mitchell testing positive. And Gobert took a lot of deserved flack 
for the the antics he had at an interview earlier, you know, a couple days earlier, or maybe even that day. I can't touching remember. all the mics. Yeah, right? where he just yeah. like t- he like touched all the mics on his way out of an interview, and you know, then tested positive for COVID, and the season shut down immediately. And he expressed nothing but you know complete contrition, and you know has you know done his part in donating both money and, and um, you know helping people really you know take this seriously and honestly you know gobert obviously gets no credit for this but it's weird to think about but that you know moment when the nba season was shut down and that that, was like the biggest eye opener yeah that was the thing that i think kicked a lot of people who weren't taking it seriously into high gear saying like this is and not just nba fans yeah yeah like just just general public people were like oh shit the nba shut down like Maybe and like th- that right there, like that mentality that you're mentioning is kind of why I give Gobert kind of a like a small pass because a he's shown contrition and b like everyone was kind of like yeah whatever at the time you know what I mean? like people hadn't really and then they're like oh shit this is real and, and that's why it, you know it's it's a little disingenuous right because he didn't start taking a ton of criticism that uh, well, I mean the criticism is, is disingenuous because it didn't start coming until after he tested positive if right. he had never tested positive nobody would have cared. Yeah, and that's kind of ridiculous because that's something you shouldn't do, regardless, because of the risk involved, right? Yeah, you know, you ev- you evaluate the decision based on what we knew then, and it's still a bad thing for him to do, and a, and a, a horrible look, and only, but you know, nobody really cared. You know, they took sort of a no harm, no foul approach, uh, which is obviously you know a bad approach in a situation like this. So, you know, but this, they literally had the results. They didn't tell anyone. It's not like they told the other team and let everybody involved assessed the risk there they made the decision assume presumably hid it from everyone else put all those people at risk that they you know are trying to minimize or avoid and did it so they could play a fucking baseball game it's absolutely heinous and it would be honestly like if you if you banned you know a bunch of people that like did an investigation found out who was largely like in support of this and you know let it happen and just ban- if you banned them for baseball i think that would be reasonable it's assault like literally it's just assault like you you could i think you could win a case in court saying that you were assaulted by people because you were put into a situation by them that is not okay for you you know it's like it's like the people that go in public like you've seen horrific videos of people going in public like pulling down people's masks and like sneezing in their face and coughing in their face you know like trying to expose you to something like you you can't do that Right. And it was the Phillies, right? I think it was the Marlins versus the Phillies. And so like the Phillies had to like call off some of their games. Right. And like from a logistical standpoint, not notwithstanding what what's actually going on. Logistical standpoint, this is a nightmare too. Right. Because they're trying to condense as much of a season into a small amount of time as they can. And now they're having like multiple cancellations of games that they're gonna have to try to make up. So like, oh now we'll play some double headers, we'll 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 give people less off days. So like that's dangerous in another way now. Like you're you're risking injury, uh it's like you're risking more exposure now because you're doing extra traveling. This this has a cascading effect yeah. to literally every single person involved in this major league baseball season. And it just had to be the Marlins, right? Like, it's like you joked about, like, they're not a real franchise. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about them, um, their prior owner, before the, this group. You know, a lot of people think of Derek Jeter because he's kind of, like, the He's the biggest name, yeah. Yeah, he's the biggest. Yeah, player. he's actually, like, one of the minority owners, but, like... Yeah, it's, uh, it's like Magic Johnson with the Dodgers. With, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Um, the owner before this was just horrendous. Like, I hated the guy for, like, the longest time. I remember, I, like, I've, I've done some sports show, uh, some sports talk shows on radios before, and it's come up, and I'm like... 
I think he should be forced to sell the team. You know, like what it's like, I don't think he should be allowed to own a major league baseball team because of the stuff that he did before. You can look into this. He was like real bad at running a team in the in the sense that like he was purely for profit. You know, like we talked about, he would always sell his teams off. He lied to the state of Florida pretty much to get a new stadium for them. Like, you know, to get them to help fund a new stadium like from taxpayer dollars. Uh, went out and bought a bunch of players. He's like, look, you get us a new stadium. I'll be able to funnel the new revenue into the team. The problem is the old stadium sucks. Nobody wants to come to a game, like blah, blah, blah. So they get that. They get the new stadium. He goes out, spends like hundreds of millions of dollars on players, and then just trades them all immediately. Like literally the same season. It's like, dude, we've, we've seen this from you multiple times. Like you just shouldn't be. You know what I mean? It's like it's like I'm sure there's teams in basketball where like you're like this, these owners just don't. Uh, Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a there's there's a, there's a Phoenix few teams. Suns. Yeah, there's a few teams in each sport. It seems Robert like. Sarver. Yeah, owner of the Phoenix exactly. Suns. So, and it's one of those things because like you have dedicated loyal fan bases. I understand it's a business at the end of the day. I don't. I'm not a millionaire, right? You know, I'm not a billionaire. I don't own a sports franchise. I'd love to. I'm sure it's very difficult, and they have a lot on their plate. But you can try to be a good owner. It doesn't take a lot of effort to to reward your fan base and your like loyal customers and stuff because. I mean, baseball is the most lucrative sport. You know, they make the most money when stuff's going right. You know, they have the most home games, the you know, the biggest revenues, their TV deals are absurd, you know. And, like, just don't screw up. Like, I say this all the time at athletes and, like, these people with these millions of dollars, just don't mess up. Like, it's not that hard, right? I mean, I say that. I've, I've definitely messed He's up a bunch of He's operating under fundamentally different principles than you want him to, so, or was. All right, we don't have to keep talking about that because I'm going to get angry again. It's just, it's just baffles my mind that this could go on. I mean, it's just unconscionable. Because well, here's the thing. We've talked about this too. You know, when does the NBA start back up? I know they've been doing some... Tomorrow? Pre- yeah, some preseason games, right? Some, uh, yeah, some, scrimmages, some scrimmages, whatever you want to yeah. call it. I believe, and, they, I believe it's tomorrow. And they're doing at least, quote-unquote, correct. You know, the, they're doing... Did you see the headline from today? No, I didn't. What happened? So they, they, they are releasing... They're testing people, uh, I think, weekly. And they last re- released results on the 20th. And since then, they've tested 344 people in the bubble. And they got zero positives. So, like, they, they have contained it. Yeah. Because everybody's isolated and in the bubble. And with the exception of Lou Williams, who was soundly and roundly criticized for his reckless behavior, um, you know, have been generally, you know. Yeah, didn't one of the, the players, point. like, order food and leave the bubble to get it? And they were like, all right, you're quarantined for 10 days or whatever. Or 14 uh, that days. wasn't Lou Williams. That was somebody else. Was somebody else was saying it was like, Lou, it wasn't Lou got, player. like, permission to leave the bubble to go to some family thing, I think. Um, to, like, some personal matter that he had to attend to. Got permission from the league to leave the bubble and then was caught out at a strip club. Yeah, I was going to say, let me guess, at a yeah. club. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and... You know, you're thinking about this and like, I gotta say this, props to NBA for trying to get this done, right? They, they're doing the bubble, you know, these guys aren't leaving, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think the NHL is doing the same thing. They're up in, uh, I think, Toronto, I think, is, I think is where they are, because the NBA is in Orlando, right? And the NHL is up in like Toronto, which is really funny, by the way. So this almost happened. The Toronto baseball team can't play in Toronto, right? Like they, they are now playing in Buffalo, New York instead. Uh, the Jays are, but originally... Uh, the plan was they were going to play. They're going to share the the stadium in Pittsburgh with the Pirates. So it was going to be the Toronto baseball team can't play baseball in Canada. So it was playing in Pittsburgh. But then the Pittsburgh hockey team couldn't play hockey in America. It was playing in Toronto. So it was like this weird symmetry thing going <laughs> on. So it's just funny to me and great and stuff to think about this that like the NBA and the NHL they're doing it right, right? You know they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna keep these guys in the bubble. You're seeing 
very good numbers on this to kind of like to, to, I, I should I guess I should be talking with my hands more very good numbers Ross they're great numbers I love seeing <laughs> these numbers everybody's saying they've never seen numbers like this before. they've never seen numbers like this before I, you know I just keep having people talking to me these are the best numbers they've ever seen you know like whatever blah 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 this is great then you see what's going on in baseball right and it's like look they can't bubble like I get it there, there was talks about doing it in Arizona about just like literally quarantine a city in Arizona getting a couple uh getting a couple of baseball fields and just going right and maybe that would have worked better maybe this wouldn't have happened but I hate to break it to you at home if this gets worse in baseball and like because here's the thing I keep making the joke it's fun to have baseball games for a little while I don't think they get through the season I think it's probably better than 50 50 if you were to bet that the season doesn't finish if you think football is going to happen fully through this. I got some oceanfront property in Arizona I want to sell you. I mean, I could be- I could believe it happening and it just being a giant shit show like baseball and risking people's health because there is a fuck ton of money on the line in football. Yes, it's it's the other most lucrative sport, right? Like those yeah. those sports make just obscene amounts of money, and their their owners don't like giving up that money. You know what I mean? Like the the people who you know make the most here. I mean, you've if we've seen a lot seen of anything people- over the last four and a half months. It's uh, you know the willingness of people to sacrifice the health of w- the working class for their profits. <laughs> well, yeah, we're starting to see that a lot more, right? And you're seeing the players opt out. And I'll say this. I haven't seen as much negative reaction to this as I thought I would, but maybe it's just because I've been kind of curtailing what I've been intaking a little more lately because I was losing my mind looking at all the negative stuff on like Twitter and the in the internet. And like, it's not like I want to shield myself from it, but at some point in time, I've had enough for like that day or that week. And I'm like, I, I can only be so depressed for my own mental health, you know? And so... I, I got to turn Twitter off sometimes, right? Or I got to start filtering what I what I see on Twitter. I got to mute some word or something like that. But here's a good example. Here's a good example of what we're talking about right here. I used this example the other day. Ross, I think you've heard this and you like this one. Disney World opened back up, right? So Disney World opened back up. They wouldn't test their employees. They're like, that's that's for them to do if, if they want to do it. Or we're not going to test our employees. So Disney World opened back up to, you know, make profits or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't test their employees. But all of their corporate headquarters, all of the areas where all the decisions for Disney were made are still not open. They do not let the higher-ups in the company meet in person. What does that tell you? When you hear that, what do you infer from that? I'm, I'm pausing so the people at home can let this one sink in. It, I mean, that just says it all. And it, it really is craven, the pursuit of profit that is going on here. And so just bold-faced and brazen you know it's clear as day what's going on and we have like especially the you know we're not testing our employees but we're opening back up so the employees are put in a situation where they can go back to work and risk their health and the health of anyone they're living with um and or they can be out of work with no chance of securing unemployment because they've now willingly declined their job so they're ineligible uh so you've put them into that situation and forced them to make a you know an impossible decision and then put the onus on them to you know take care of it like it's not your responsibility responsibility at all and it really goes to show how uh insipid this individualist mindset that we have in the west is where everybody feels like their only responsibility is to themselves and that means that they have no responsibility to anyone else 
and they really act as though we don't all live in a shared world and a shared space. Like that, like their actions don't affect those of anyone around them. You know, it's clear with th this pandemic how your actions affect those around you. You know, wearing a mask doesn't do a great job of protecting you unless it's really like surgical grade. Uh, but it does do a pretty good job. And, you know, we're now seeing hard data to support that of protecting the people around you. And so you can only be assured of your safety or at least somewhat assured if other people act responsibly and act in everyone else's best interests. But if everyone acts in their own, you know, selfish interests, then we get a worse outcome for everyone. It's like a, a huge fucking prisoner's dilemma. And, you know, the, the mindset that we've inculcated here puts people in the situation where they take the wrong decision in the prisoner's dilemma, and then we all end up getting fucked. Do you know what the prisoner's dilemma is? Uh, remind everyone at home. I'm pretty sure I do. I, I mean, it, I don't have a, all the it's details. It's a famous right? problem in game theory right. where, you know, yeah, yeah, you have the two prisoners and they're separated. And if they both squeal on each other, right. then, you know, they both go to prison for a certain amount of time. If one rats the other one out, then they go free and the other one goes to prison. And if they, but if they both, uh, you know, or I guess not free, like the numbers have to be aligned in a certain way to make the math work. But they, they get like a, a, a shorter sentence. But if they both, you know, say nothing, then the, you know, the cops have nothing. And so they both go free. And so if you if you examine the problem from an individual perspective, it's always correct to rat the other person out. Because regardless of what the, the other person does, you have a, your, your expected value is better. But the mutually best outcome is for you to cooperate and both say nothing. But you have to trust each other in order to do that. But when you, you know, infest a society with a hyper individualist mindset, you get people that are constantly examining it from that individual mindset. And then you get an outcome that is worse for everyone. Yeah. If anyone here has ever watched The Good Place, they talk about stuff like this a lot. Uh, the, the the trolley experiment as well. Sure. You know, like which which road you take. If you've seen um, if you've seen I'm almost sure everyone here has seen uh, what was the middle Batman movie? The better one. Um, uh, the, the Dark Knight trilogy. Okay. The, 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 yeah, the Dark Knight when they're 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 on the the boats and they can like each blow each were, other there up. Were, there were four before the Nolan trilogy, so that's not a trilogy. Well, some of those don't really count. And I they're mean, not like, really are are those are those movies linked? I always assumed like I had thought of them as being linked because they came out relatively like they're all in the same universe. They just have different three yeah, different actors different between actors, the four movies because they there's certain similar like I think Alfred is the same through the all four movies. I it's think all he Michael Caine. Hmm? Or it's all Michael Caine, right? Whoever the actor is, sure. Yeah. For, for for whatever. I think he's the only link if I remember right. I think I think he was in all four. But like yeah. they're the first two are technically like you know, the Michael Keaton ones are like one after the other, right? You know, like the the one prior, the, the other ones are kind of like standalone-ish type 92. things. I don't know, man. Those are like, like 97, 99, Batman Returns and Batman and Well, Robin. the first one was 89. Yeah, and then it's like 89, 92, 97, 99. Uh, I think it might have been sooner. The, it was Val Kilmer and then, dude, George Clooney. Like, can we, can we come on. The ER guy, <laughs> Batman, and then nipples on the bat suit like what are we doing here <laughs> you know the, the nipples on the bat suit are uh a little a little much so yeah 89 92 oh it's 95 97 not 97 yeah. 99 i knew they were separated by two years and i knew one of them was 90 i had 97 the one uh, with uh arnold schwarzenegger throwing a bunch of one-liners chill <laughs> one-worders <laughs> one-worders well, even 
Yeah, well, like, sometimes he would set up his own one-worder, so, like, it's kind of like a one-liner into the one-worder. I don't know, man. Like, And they got Uma Thurman to play Poison Ivy. That was actually and, a decent casting and, and call. And Returns had, had Michelle Pfeiffer and Danny DeVito. So yeah. A lot of good, a lot of good, a lot of good actors in those movies. Yeah, I actually um, really liked. I think it's the Val Kilmer one with uh, Two Face and Riddler because I actually liked Tommy Lee Jones as Two Face. I liked and Jim, Jim Carrey as yeah. Riddler. Uh, I actually read about some stuff the other day because a lot of stuff's been coming out and they've been interviewing people a lot and a lot of cool things going on. Apparently, they could not stand each other on the set, and like that's why you don't see them interact a lot in the movie. They just like could like Tommy Lee just like could not take Jim Carrey. He's like I I can't I can't because this is you know Jim Carrey's probably at like the height of his popularity at this time you know like mid or when he's starting to really like rock it up yeah this is like after ace ventura and after in living color you know like in living colors i think what really rocketed him is his first tv real like tv parts he'd been to like some bad movies i think right there's like some vampire movie he's in where they're trying to get him and stuff and it's like a comedy kind of thing. i don't know it's like you saw you could watch on the usa at like four in the morning kind of thing and yeah but it's like ace ventura the mask the truman show Liar, liar. Was the Truman Show, like, one of his first, like, real serious, like, drama things that, like, showed that he could act, you know what I mean, besides a comedy? Yeah, I think so. Because he did a couple things after that. I gotta say, he's actually a good actor, you know, like... Yeah, he's done some some dramatic work, too. Like, a lot of people really liked his Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, or whatever. Yeah, like, a lot of people are like, that's my favorite movie of all time, you know. That one's a little too over the top, over my head for me, but... Uh, you know, I remember seeing it as a younger person and being like, this isn't what I expected from a Jim Carrey movie or whatever, but, you know, yeah, whatever. I don't think I've ever seen that one. I just haven't had time to, like, there are certain movies that I want to see, but I know I only want to see when I'm really alert and I can, you know, watch and really consume them, as opposed to just sort of having it on in front of my eyes. Uh, and that's definitely, you know, very much on that list. And I just haven't really had time to sit down and, and you know, watch a movie in that way. Yeah, makes sense. Um, anyway, so there was some Pioneer played over the weekend. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Surprisingly so, I guess. Yeah, so you know, there were two challenges. For the, first, for the first time in like six months. Yeah, there, Pioneer. It, fe- it feels like that, right? There were two challenges, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and spoil this a little bit. Oath of Nyssa won both tournaments. What if we're just all tra- like traveling at close to the speed of light and time is just slowing down? I th- I think I just went cross-eyed when you said that. I think my brain broke. Maybe that's maybe that's why the the world is so crazy and everything's so ridiculous and it feels all condensed. Maybe time is actually just slowed down because we're you know the universe is speeding up. I have a few theories. There's that. Uh, there there could be black holes involved. Um, another one. Um, it, we could actually be seeing the end times, especially if we're very religious. You know, we're in a plague right now. They they had like locust outbreaks in another part of the part of the world. Yeah. Next is Ragnarok. Yeah, there's going to be blood from the skies or, you know, in rivers. Everyone's firstborn is going is, to... Thankfully, I'm a secondborn, so I'm a little... I, I was, like, teasing my brother about that the other day. You are too, right? I'm third out of four. Third, so. right. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, sorry for joking about cataclysmic times. Um, one of my other theories is... Um, the, the You know the, the joke that a lot of, like, really smart people... Not the joke, but there's a lot of really smart people that think there's a non-zero chance that we're all living in a simulation. Yeah, I don't really understand what, like, the implications of that are. Like, they're just messing with us. They're just clicking... Bu- like, we're the Sims, right? And they're just clicking buttons, right? And they're like, they've had it too good lately. Here we go. <laughs> so <laughs> there's some, like, out, outside force that is controlling things? Based, yeah, like- we're, we're just in someone's computer right now. Like, we're a, we're a video game for some super advanced technological society that, you know... Is like way beyond us, right? And we could never, you know, at that point, like we could never leave the simulation. Well, the, we don't. That, we don't technically exist. Yeah. Well, I mean, we do in a sense. 
Yeah, you know what I mean. So, like, we so don't have... Some, yeah. We're, so, we're contained. essentially, is that, like, a, a way to resolve the whole free will debate and say, like, we don't have free will because we're being controlled by whoever the architects of the simulation are? Well, see, that's that's the other thing, too, is are you actually... Is it a, is it a, a self-contained model where you do have free will in it and they're just, like, letting things happen to see what happens? You know, they're like, so, oh... Yeah, are they, uh, you know, interventionist god or a, the blind clockmaker? Yeah. It's like, uh, like, whenever I hear this, I always think of... It's one of the like men in black movies. I think it's like the second or third one or whatever, where they're like they're going after this thing called the universe, right? It's like a little pendant, it has like a planet, and it looks like it looks like a universe in the pendant, right? And then like it pans out like the end of the movie and everything that's going on, like, you know, the world and like our universe or whatever is in that thing. And then it pans out and it's like we're just someone's plaything, right? Like there's this there's like these aliens in a locker room and they like, they, he puts it on like, you know, it's, it's like a chain around his neck or something. Like he puts it on a, uh, like a hook or something. And like, you know, everything's just going on in there. Where does universe with inside a universe with inside it. We're like a pocket universe inside of another pocket universe, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I don't want to get into thermo thermodynamics and string theory or anything like that at some point. So isn't string theory like outdated and nobody really looks into it anymore. Well, I think it's cause they can never officially prove it. I'm not a hundred. Look, look, I don't know. I, I think they, they, there's no longer like compelling evidence for it as a model. It was a cool theory. Yeah. It involved some really weird math. I think they had to do the math in like 11 dimensional space. Yeah. One of my favorite ones is, uh, this one's from like comic books and stuff too, but this is one of the, the ones I like the fact that, um, there's possible infinite, Earths or infinite universes that are the same as ours, where one slight different decision changes everything, and all of those worlds exist, except they all vibrate at a different frequency, so you Isn't can't see. Theory? So you can't. I, I don't remember the name of it. So you can't. They can't see each other, and so that's why people talk about like the possibility of time travel. That like you would just go to a different one where one of the decisions was different. So if you went back and changed something, like you like killed baby Hitler, or something like that, right? And so that timeline like branches off. Right? Yeah, I don't know. They talk about this stuff like there's another one like Avengers where I just get way too confused. I don't know how time travel with like alternate universes work. That's way above my pay grade. You know, there are people who get paid to think about this kind of thing. My brain hurts when I start to think about that stuff too much. Yeah, the that was uh, there was always a weird uh, dynamic when I was in college because I went to you know a, a tech science math oriented school. Uh, so basically, everybody majored you know like 90 90 plus percent of the campus majored in one of like eight things you were like engineering computer science math physics chemistry biology and then there was like a math bio joint major and a math cs joint major and like you were like one of those eight uh small school you know under a thousand people and uh the everybody hated physics when we were do, going through the gen eds the uh, because you know it was horrible who like it was all mechanics and enm and, and a little of special relativity and then quantum mechanics and uh it's just miserable and all the people that stuck it out and became physics majors you know would just didn't shut up like junior and senior year about how awesome their physics classes were then because they were just you know discussing the you know fundamentals of the universe that got to have all these like neat discussions and actually be informed about them and not, like you know think about them in a, in a fun way as opposed to us who were just like what the fuck is going on like the first time they told me about time dilation when i was which was literally the, the first physics course i took you know like two weeks into my freshman year they're like yeah when you go close to the speed of light time slows down and i was like the fuck i'm not high uh, enough to, to listen to this yeah understand was, this stuff uh, right know, now. I didn't even smoke then. So what yeah. was, what chance did I fucking have? <laughs> Thankfully, because the concepts were difficult, all of our problems were really easy. 
It basically involved rocket ships going at three-fifths or four-fifths the speed of light all the time because everything is in a triangle, so three-fifths and four-fifths give you nice Pythagorean triples. Isosceles or acute? Mm, um, neither. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I just wanted to sound smart, Ross. I wanted to say words that are big they're, and... They're, they're non-isosceles right triangles. They're I, scaling I, right triangles. Look, you're the math guy, all right? I'm the humanities guy. Like, I know that to... there's... There's terms that describe the angles of the of the triangle, and then there's terms that, that describe the side lengths. And so, um, a, a, like, is can you even? Why are you asking me questions right now? Just so you know, I'm not going to answer. What would even a, a, is acute triangle even a term that makes any sense? I don't like, know. I just said an angle. Ross, I just say things. All right. Do I look like a kind of guy with, that has a plan? I just but do like, things. You can an acute. Okay. We should not let you okay, Google okay. during the show. They do, they do say a, a, a triangle with three acute angles is an acute triangle. Whereas if you have one obtuse angle, then it's an obtuse triangle or it's a right triangle. So they, they do make that distinction. So well, Ross, uh, whatever shape you are, you're acute. Just so you know. <laughs> and, then, and then when you say isosceles, you mean two of the side lengths are the same versus equilateral or scalene. It's been 20 years since I covered this stuff. Same. Maybe more. So much, so much of math just comes down to remembering what the terms mean, which is kind of frustrating to me because, like, that's like the it's it's sort of this barrier to entry. It's kind of similar to magic, actually, right? Like, it's it's one of the things that makes it really difficult to start learning magic and getting better at magic is just remembering what all the sh- the terms fucking mean. Yeah. Remembering the steps of a turn and how the rules work, like that's just a, that's just a learning curve that's built baked into the game because of the complexity is so high. No, hundred percent agree. It's one of the problems that I have with like average schooling is the fact that you're not rewarded for learning; you're rewarded for regurgitation. You're rewarded well, for memorizing. At, at a certain extent, if you if you want to learn, you have to have a lot of those basics down. Yeah, like you know, for, for the same reason that like you can't learn math if you can't multiply two correct. two single digit numbers in your head. Yeah, correct. Like if I don't know six times six is thirty six, it's gonna get real hard to do algebra. Yeah, even if you understand the concepts, like there's just you know these baseline things that you need to learn in order to take the next steps. So I think there's some you know memorization in certain fields that works well. Obviously, like. You know, memorizing fucking state capitals or whatever, presidents in order. Par- parishes. Yeah, parishes of Louisiana. A little callback to one of the, yeah. The yeah, l- it's just not, you know, not particularly relevant. All right, I'm uh, going gonna, gonna to stop us here. Let's go ahead and cover the stuff because we actually have a lot of questions in the mailbag. And I want to make sure they get enough time because a couple of them are really cool and good. They're all really cool and good, but there's a few that stand out and being like, there, there's going to be story time. I have so many opinions about math education. Yeah, I, I, you know what? Look, I'm sorry. I'm sure there's a few people listening right now that are really mad about me cutting that short, and I'm sorry. Um, become patrons of the show if you're not. Ask the questions in the Patreon-related uh, <laughs> yeah. episode because we're going to be doing another one of those. Please soon. ask nothing but math-related questions. I would love to do a show like that. I will that. let you do the show by yourself. Yeah. I, will, I will literally do the intro and walk out. I, I will do it live on stream. I'll get a whiteboard. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. Ross... Here you go. <laughs> Today we're going to be discussing principal ideal domains. <laughs> I don't know what any of those words mean, and I don't want to know. I would actually have to look them up. It was just the first math term I remember that came to my head. All right, Ross, Oath of Nyssa, unbanned. It won both tournaments. Uh, the first one that we're looking at is from the 26th, and this is the deck we were worried about, right? Like, this is this is the deck that we thought would come up, rear its ugly head. We were a little worried. It started to win a little bit before uh, some of the initial bannings early, early, early in Pioneer's Infancy, but what we're looking at here is a Emory the Lock combo deck with Diligent Excavator. You know, um, it's got Mox Amber, some stuff like that going on, uh, but it's a Kethis deck. 
Yeah. It, it is, in fact, a Kethys deck. The, the, the card that we were worried about a little bit of Oath of Nissa possibly making good again, this is it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wrote about this deck a couple weeks ago, so I'm patting myself on the back. Uh, for that one, it takes he, down this challenge. Just so everybody at home, if you're keeping track, he literally patted himself on the back here. Yeah. All right, go ahead. And I've actually, I've played a little bit with this deck, uh, not, not on stream, but I've done it in my own spare time because I just find playing this deck super fun. It's incredibly complicated. I've heard that it's it's hard to play this deck on um, certain, I don't know if it's MTGO or, or Arena. I don't know if Arena has all of this or not, but like I know that some it's of the a, clicking It's a deck it in Historic work. too, yeah. Uh, Emma Handy's been playing Kethis in Historic. Yeah, it, 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 can, it can be very click intensive, but the, the games are just really difficult, like setting up and winning through graveyard hate, but the deck is really, really strong. There's uh, there's some notable differences uh, from the list I had initially brewed and tested with and this uh, winning list, and I like uh, a couple of the things they did uh, that really solved some of the issues that I was having with the deck. One is the two copies of Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath Main, this is a card that can just win games by itself. We know how powerful it is, especially when you can fill your graveyard, and Ketha certainly can. Uh, you know, obviously just being a legend, it plays fine with the deck. I think it helps you out in aggro matchups. And just accelerating your mana. All of these things can help, but in particular, just giving you a way to win that doesn't involve a combo. So, you know, when you play against uh, Niv-Mizzet decks and they Unmoored Ego you or Slaughter Games, whichever one they have, game one, you know, you can still win and win pretty easily. And then second is the presence of a bunch of these Planeswalkers. Um, you know, there's a Liliana Last Hope in the main and, you know, some other Planeswalkers, none that really offer you an alternate game plan. But the sideboard has a copy of Ashiok, Nightmare Muse, and Garrick the Cursed Huntsman. And both of these cards can also just help you play a mid-range game. You know, sometimes you'll get a little value with your Emery drawing some cards or your Kethis returning some creatures. And then you'll draw some cards and make some creatures with your Planeswalkers. And then maybe you'll have an Uro. And you can just win outside of the combo. And I think that is really valuable and something this deck really needs. Uh, and in particular, the Planeswalkers give you a way to start playing fair without using the Graveyard. And that, you know, which Uro doesn't. So I think that's, that's a really important aspect of the deck. It only takes up a couple slots. You know, two in the main, two in the sideboard. But it really makes the deck much harder to attack. You know, just those four slots give you that alternate angle, and now suddenly your opponent has to prepare for both, and they can't go that hard attacking your combo. And if they're not going as hard, then the combo itself is naturally resilient, uh, and, and, you know, you're going to win games through soft hate a lot of the time. Yeah, when I look at this deck and I look at its sideboard, I know that the slot, you know, doesn't line up, but I'm always surprised to not see Fae of Wishes in the deck of the way the sideboard is here, because it just looks like a Breach sideboard almost, you know what I mean, kind of thing. So, yeah, a lot of one-ofs. Yeah. Speaking of that, Breach showed up in this top eight. Um, a lot of the red-white burn deck, you know, Luris uh, showing its did, head again. Did you take a long look at the Breach list from fourth place? Uh, was there something interesting going on there? Yeah, take, take a second look at that. Oh. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I forgot about this. We got the new card from M21 here. Another new card uh, sighting. And this is not a card that we've seen in Breach before. This is this is new now. And we're, you know, a month or so, two months after the set came, a month after the set came out. I, I can't remember. But a disc, four copies of Discontinuity in the main deck. And I'm trying to see exactly what they cut to make room for it. And you see only two copies of Arboreal Grazer. And some of the, like, flex, basically, like, the flex spots that we saw vary a lot. There's one See the Truth. So, you know, yeah, you kind of had three flex spots to play with. And they just cut two Grazers, play to See the Truth, and four Discontinuity in those spots. 
I'm not sure exactly what this card does in the deck, because Underworld Breach says at the beginning of the end step. So if you stop the if you stop your turn with it in play, you're you're gonna sacrifice it at the end of their turn anyway. You're not gonna get it on your next turn. And then I'm thinking like, do you stop? I guess you stop it with the Lotus Field trigger on the stack, and you get to keep your lands. Uh, I'm you, not sure. I'd have to see somebody play through. I'm sure there's some other stuff going on here. Plus, I mean, I, like... I think that's the idea. It could also just be a time walk, right? Like, you could also just time walk your opponent for six mana. For, yeah. I mean, you you can do that, too. I, I assume they u- use both modes. But there's got to be... Like, you're not going to play this card as a reactive card in this deck, right? You're only going to play it if it has some proactive use for your own game plan. Yeah, especially I mean, like I, in I four, especially in four copies. So there's got to be something proactive you're doing, and the only thing that I can see is countering the Lotus Field trigger. So can, we, can I tangent for another half second here? Maybe that's really valuable. Yeah, please. Uh, do. So this this is a callback to the card Time Stop, uh, one of my more favorite arts in the last like ten or fifteen years. Love the art of that card. Um, just the whole card itself. And I, it, when I say that I love the, the the look of this card, I love the art of it. It's not just literally the the picture of it. But the really clean version of it that didn't have the reminder text. Have you ever seen that one? It just it just says end the turn. In in the te- there's three words in the entire text box. End the turn. And it's like um one of the first times Lightning Angel got reprinted, and it just had you know flying haste vigilance. It didn't have uh, flying haste attacking does not cause Lightning Angel tap. So it didn't have all this text in its text box. Lightning just, Angel is unaffected by summoning sentence. Yeah, Lightning Angel is unaffected by summoning Whatever, Whatever word, yeah, it, you know, whatever sentence it had back in the it went to keywords. So I've always been a fan of, like, the text boxes that are super clean and cool because, like, we don't get that anymore, right? Like, yeah, there's either flavor text Wrath or... Wrath of God and Lightning Bolt back in the day. Right, like, yeah, Lightning Bolt, Wrath of God, like, bury all creatures. Like, yeah. By the way, bury was a keyword back in the day for for all you Zoomers out there who don't know us Boomers. I got to talk about that today. Destroy uh, without the possibility of regeneration. Yeah, Obviously. you can't regenerate. Yeah, yeah, you can't regenerate from burying. Like, yeah. Yeah, everyone knows that. Just like everyone knows how banding works. Yeah, exactly. I, and no then we resolve no. spells in batches. I'm, I'm convinced no one knows how banding works. No one knows how phasing fully works. Cause well, phasing is on a standard legal magic card, so. Yep. That's what I'm going to say. It's back, but whatever. Um, no other real surprises here in the top eight, like all the decks you kind of expect to see. I mean, there was like, uh, the, the green black stompy deck showed up again, which I was a big fan of at one point. Um, you know, you see, they've got a new card too. This is, this is stock in the deck now. Garrick's Harbinger. Yeah, that card is, so I haven't gotten to play with it a lot in constructed, but I've played with it in limited. I'm gonna tell you, this card's messed up. When you get to play with it in limited, there, there's a lot of black removal around in Pioneer because nobody has access to Path to Exile, and it, as a four three, it still survives Shock and Wild Slash. So it actually is, you know, sized really, really well for the format. And if this card is difficult to answer, it's powerful because it has reasonable stats for combat, and you know, getting to effectively impulse every turn it connects. So I wanted to talk about this in a little bit. Um, I originally, I, I can't remember if I had this on my top eight list or not, but I originally like had this as one of the cards, you know, when I start my, like, when I go through the spoil, I usually write out like 20 or 30 cards and I'm like, these are all the ones I want to consider. And this is a card that I did consider because here's the thing. We've seen decks like this in this format succeed before, right? Where you run a whole bunch of the one drop mana elves, right? Like you got Elvish Mystic, you've got Landwehr Elves, and sometimes you have other stuff too. Like sometimes they have, you know, um, you know, some kind of, uh, what's, what's the bird, uh, the newer one? I literally just blanked. Yeah, I, I want to say bird. Yeah, sometimes you have Gilded Goose or whatever. You just have like 
a critical mass of one drops that can make you go from one to three, right? And they've always had Lovestruck Beast, and they've always had Steel Leaf Champion, and sometimes there's some other stuff sprinkled in. This is another one that you can kind of put in that in that spot where this is another three drop, where if you go one drop into three drop, this makes it really hard on your opponent because the other ones, they're hard to kill, right? Like you can still fatal push the other ones because they don't have Hexproof from black, but they they incur some kind of value, right? Like, you know, uh, Steel Champion's a little bit harder to kill because it doesn't die to some of the burn spells. Same goes along with Love Strike Beast, but you could also make one ones out of it. But this one with Hexproof from black is pretty good because it's probably going to get to connect at least once, right? You, you'd think that it's going to probably get through. You have like Vivian Arpo Ranger to kind of help that out in a few other ways as well. And if this connects once and gets you a card, that's unbelievably powerful in this deck because this is a deck that's kind of all in with its opening hand and hoping to draw well, right? Yeah, yeah, very, essentially no deck manipulation. You know, you have Collected Company, that's a powerful card to draw, but, uh, you know, outside of that, yeah. So the, the Harbinger really does fill a need for the deck in addition to just fitting nicely solely based on stats because Hexproof from Black is really nice in the current Dying Your metagame. I will say that this specific list has done something unconscionable. And I try not to be overly critical of deck lists from tournaments, but three Elvish Mystic, three. It's got a Gilded Goose. And that's the unconscionable part. So clearly you said, like, I want eight mana creatures. And honestly, you would probably play more than eight. I would play more than eight elves if I could. I'd play like nine, 10, 11. Um, but so clearly, like, you've recognized the need for at least eight. But you've, you're playing a Gilded Goose, which is a heinous magic card if you're not doing anything outside of food. And I have to imagine, I can only imagine that the reason that they've done that is because they find that they found themselves a little short on black mana. And they're like, wow, Goose can make black mana sometimes. Uh, so that's really nice. But, but, then you go look at the mana base. And you see they're playing a Mutavault. And now you know me. Mutavault's one of my favorite cards of all time. But if you've recognized that your mana base is weak and you need more black sources, the first thing you do is not cut Elvish Mystic for Gilded Goose. It's cut Mutaval and play something like a fucking Mana Confluence and just bite the bullet. The, I mean, even you could even play, you know, a, a Woodland Cemetery. You've got 12 forests for your Woodland Cemetery. You know, don't take any damage because burn is popular. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't give a fuck what you do. But you don't cut fucking Elvish Mystic from your deck that desperately needs to cast a three drop on turn two every goddamn game. It's unconscionable. Oh, I love seeing Angry Ross when it comes to deck building. Uh, I gotta agree with you here. It does look kind of weird when I was looking at it. Um, how many games do you have to put in to figure out that you want exactly one Gilded Goose over one of the elves? You know, are you trying to block a monster? Two hundred thousand. Are you trying to block a Monastery Swiss Spear on turn one? Is that one life literally that that important? You know, I don't know. But um, speaking of, of green decks and speaking of Oath of Nyssa, the winner of the next day's uh, uh, Pioneer Challenge from the 27th, uh, we got to kind of blast from the past, Ross. Uh, I see four Nykthos Shrine to Nyx and four Oath of Nyssa. What's old is new again, Ross. It's, it's, it's mono green devotion. I mean, this is kind of Oath of Nyssa's weekend. These were the two decks that, that we identified, and, you know, we you know, certainly were not unique in that respect Yeah. Uh, f as the best potential homes for the card and decks to watch out for that, that could get significantly better. And here they are w winning both tournaments. And this one's pretty cool, too, because it's not 
the same mono green devotion that, you know, Todd Anderson popularized and was crushing with. This also has like that flare of Aspiring Spikes mono green Planeswalker deck as well, because you're still seeing four Karn, four Nissa, four Vivian with the yeah, whole this sideboard is, this package. This is the Spike version of Devotion that he pioneered, you know, a month or two ago uh, and is playing with Oath of Nissa now, uh, which is great in the deck. Obviously, you just find your Dictosis more. It, you know, finds your Planeswalkers when you need them. You don't really need help casting them, but I don't know, maybe sometimes you want to burn Tramissary into your Vivian, and now you can do that freely and use red mana as green. Uh, so, you know, it, it's very small, but it's non-zero. But, the, you know, this deck, it looks, you know, pretty much like that list. I think the, the Voyaging Seder is something I would prefer to see, like, Wolf Haven, just so as a two-mana creature that doesn't die to sweepers and, and shocks and stuff. But, you know, Voyaging Seder certainly has the upside of untapping Nykthos and going ham. And, you know, it's, it's a small difference. It's, it's certainly not like cutting Elvish Mystic in your one-drop, three-drop deck, but... Uh, you know, there's nothing really super surprising about this deck. This is exactly how I would build it. You got your three ballistas. You got your, you know, requisite number of mana creatures. I prefer Jade Light Ranger as the three drop. You know, some lists play like Corsair, I think. Uh, I think Jade Light, you know, helps you be a little more aggressive. I think making land drops is good if people are interacting with you. Uh, just Higher power. Yeah, I have to say. I don't know. Um, I like these decks. The sideboards have always interested me because I've always played... Every time I've played this deck, I'm always like, do I really need 15 tutor tar targets in my sideboard? You know, um, I don't know if there's a deck that you specifically want extra copies of a card against. So, like, maybe that's just what it comes down to. Is like, I think this is, might just be the ideal way to do it. I've only played, I don't know, probably like 10 to 15 matches with this deck. And it felt good every time I've played with it. Uh, not this version, because I didn't play with it with Othanissa. Which, by the way, I never got rid of mine, thank God. <laughs> I still have the Othanissas that I that I had for, for Pioneer. I thought about getting rid of them. But... I like this deck. Uh, obviously, yeah, obviously Tannen likes a Tron-esque Karn-type deck, you know, kind of thing. But I'm still mad that I haven't got to really play this too much in paper because I still have my four alternate art Karn the Great Creators and have not got to play with them yet. And I keep looking at the price of them and really frowning because I went and got them, like, really early when they came out because I was like, oh, there's no way this card doesn't just, like, shoot up in value. And it's... I, I paid way too much for those, Ross. Aren't, aren't prices of cards just down? Oh, yeah, they're just down in general. Basically. Yeah, I mean, like, you don't need paper cards right now. I'm not going to lie. Every time I see one, look, there, there, there's the logical part of me. It's like, yeah, you don't need paper cards right now. There's no tournaments. But then, like, I go see what the new Ugin looks like. You know, the borderless, like, Ugin. And I'm like, I could upgrade my Ugins. You know, if I got three or four of them, I could upgrade them. We're, yeah. we're also, got, we're like, with this whole, you know, self-isolating thing, you know, and you're stuck inside all the time. Sometimes it's just nice to buy a shiny thing for yourself. Yeah, you treat know? yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, do something nice I actually, for yourself. Actually, I, I put in a nice order last week with Dick's Sporting Goods. Got myself some more tennis balls. I got a new case of them. I bought a hopper to put them in. Is that... What, what is a hopper? I'm sure... It's, uh, it's like the... I've got it right here. It's like the little, uh, little oh, case. it's a little, it's a little tra like it looks like a traveling case kind of thing almost. Like yeah, yeah but it's thing. got bars in the bottom so that you can walk like when you've got just you, you can, know forty tennis balls up. and you just pick them up without having to bend over. I couldn't remember what exactly that was called. So yeah, got myself a, a, a basketball. Ooh, we've, we've been balling a little bit here. Yeah, because I must say y'all, I've, I've seen the pictures of y'all. I'm not gonna lie, I'm actually really jealous of that because here's the thing: I've been wanting to exercise and work out more lately, and. You know, I've been pretty decent about getting outside for at least 30 minutes a day to like go walk around in the sun and run a little bit, you know, get some sunlight, sweat a little bit, get the heart rate up. But let's be real. I'm pretty lazy. I'm pretty old. But like 
I wish I had some people that I could play basketball with. You know, something fun yeah. that also oh, does yeah. that because it makes uh, it go by way faster. We we've been playing later and later in the day because it's we're at the hottest part of the uh, year. It's so it's, hot, it's yeah. so hot. So we went from you know starting at like six six thirty ish to which was like you know basically right after the SCG guys got out of work because their, their office runs ten to six, and uh, you know we pushed that to like seven, and we pushed it to like seven thirty. Then we push it to like eight. It usually stays light enough to play till about nine. Then we realize that the court near my apartment has lights on it that we can just freely use. Then we started playing at you know nine thirty, yeah, <laughs> and just playing at night when it when it's really cool. And you know, obviously we're playing more and more, and we're competitive people. So I had to get myself a get myself a basketball here so I could just go down on nights when we don't play, shoot around a bit, work on my game. Yeah. I will say uh, today's actually been one of the nicest days in a while here. It's uh, about 91 degrees outside right now and sunny. Uh, when I got up this morning, I got up pretty early to get in like a nice walk this morning before before doing work stuff because I feel like I'm more energized in the day if I get something done. Like I get up, I drink some cold water and go. You know what I mean? And it was in like the 70s, like the high 70s. Like I could have worn you know sweatpants or something if I wanted to because it's also been raining pretty heavily every day here for like the last like week week and a half I'll tell you this my yard needed it and that's like the most dad thing I've ever said hey we really needed that rain you know like kind of thing but my yard needed it which I need to cut my yard too but I can't with it raining every day so it's been super nice but um yeah weather's been good but I wish I had that kind of outlet for because like I've always found that better, right? You know what I mean? Like even oh, when yeah. I was in even when I was in college and I was like actively in the gym, I still like was on intramural teams. You know, like I was still playing like flag football and stuff. And I got into like a really competitive one where like, dude, we played against some teams that had some like really good players. You know, and like some we had some really hard games and stuff. And you know, we had to execute and stuff as well. And so like, you know, keep oh, yeah. yourself in shape for that. It's like a good motivation type thing. Because here's the thing, it's fun to go ball with your friends. You know, it's more fun just owning them. <laughs> on the court right like just being good right like yeah be, being good it, it is the fun thing. adequate you know or, yeah, or like, better you know w- winning is great and we're all really competitive we, we like winning but i find it really really enjoyable when i am good enough at something that i start actually being able to strategize around something around things and we started doing that a little bit with basketball you know like anderson is basically unstoppable in the post so we've got to like anderson work on player. different yeah, we gotta like work on different rotations to try to double him in certain spots. I when I get get put on on him in the post, which is obviously a huge mismatch. I started fronting him and like forcing them That's to make a I tough would pass over the top, and you know it's, it started working initially. But then they started getting the passes down, so we've had to you know there's a lot of give and take. That kind of stuff is super fun. It's like it's like trying to stay on top of a metagame in Magic. Yeah, does does him and Rob match up a lot because of the height thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because how tall is Rob? I don't know exactly how tall they are, but they're they're the two tallest. They're both like six four margin. or something stupid, right? Yeah. They're both giant. Yeah, yeah. But Anderson's a little bit more agile in the post, a little bit better finisher around the rim. Mm-hmm. So you know, Rob, you can kind of leave alone, and you know he's not going to punish you as much. Um, but he's working on it. He knows that that's his weakness. Yeah. So he started really working on it. Good for him. Uh, and yeah. you know that that's smart. And. And you see, know, I like that more than being like, well, I did 10 push-ups yesterday, so I'm going to try to do 11 today and 12. Like, I find that boring. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing wrong with it. Some people like that. They're like, yeah, I'm trying to max out my bench. And I'm like, I find that boring. Like, I find just weightlifting boring. You know, like, I used to always talk about this. You know, I used to be pretty competitive in a lot of sports. You know, you hear me talk about golf and stuff. And, like, you have to practice, like, 
ungodly amounts, right? To get good at that stuff. And I always talked about like, just practice smarter. Don't practice more, like practice with a purpose, you know, be good at it. You know what I mean? Don't just go out there and pound balls. You know, just don't just go out there and take 400 jump shots. Like obviously that's going to help. But like, if you're never open, like, you know how to like, <laughs> you know, get space, like, you know, like it's not going to help. You're not going to yeah. be open for a shot and ever. And even if you are going to like spend a day working on shooting, you know, like do that with a purpose. Be like, I'm, I'm going to go at these spots, work on these areas. I think, you know, my issues with my shot are X, Y, and Z. I'm going to yeah. focus on those things. Like, you know, I, uh, you know, I think what, one of my big things is they always teach you to keep your eye on, on the net uh, and the rim. But if you actually watch the best shooters, they follow the ball with their eyes. <laughs> And, and, you know, analytical guys on basketball will say, like, yeah, that, that's actually what you should be doing. And so, and I find myself looking at the rim too much. So, like, that's something I, I try to work on. Um, you know, I I really need to improve my dribbling, my just my handles. Yeah. Uh, that's a big thing for me because I'm one of the better shooters among our group. Uh, not that any of us are really, you know, good. Uh, but, you know, I have a hard time just, you know, dribbling by people and creating penetration and getting open shots that way. You know, Corey's sort of the opposite. Like he is far and away the the best uh, driver, and you know, gets I would a lot guess he'd be like the way. best athlete amongst the group. Yeah, he, he is that too. Yeah. Um, but you know, everybody just started sagging off of him and just daring him to shoot. And he's not, you know, he's not a bad shooter, but that's certainly the best way to play him. And so, if he wants to, you know, stop that from happening, he's got to get better at shooting. And so, what we like, it's just nice to be like approach, you know. Some normalcy. Something with that kind of mindset, the same way we, we approach magic. Like, that's that's always the fun thing that I find about magic, too, is, like, you know, figuring out the answers to the questions. And So we have a similar thing going on. You've heard me talk about this game that I play, Warzone or whatever. It's, like, the video game that I've been playing the most. And I mostly play with other magic players. Like, we have a Discord that we all get in, and we talk while we're playing the game. And I'll tell you this. We're not, like, fundamentally better than a lot of people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not faster at the game. My aim isn't better. Like, I'm above average in all these things. But I'm not, like, a god at, like, fast the fast twitch stuff. You know what I mean? But here's the thing. You know, we understand the game, right? We understand, like, the economics of it, like, positioning, rotating. We're not perfect, but, like, we definitely outplay people there on, like, the analytical side. And you expect that from Magic players, right? You expect that from, like, chess people. Anything to do, like, poker. Anything where you have to think levels ahead. You kind of expect that kind of thing. So it's fun figuring out the puzzle because here's the thing, you know, my team of like, you know, whoever, how many we ever we play with, right? Where we play well together. If we play well together, we can beat a team that is more talented than we are, but maybe isn't like playing the game as good as we are kind of thing. And like that happens to basketball all the time. Like you see teams that have like immense raw talent, lose the teams that play a lot better. And teams like, you know, I think of like the Spurs a lot, you know, like it's like fundamentally just, and like game plan wise, just way ahead of a lot that of the said, other teams are playing. Against. That narrative about the Spurs specifically was overblown to an extent, and it you know it they it really undersold the level of talent they had behind Tim Duncan. Like Manu Ginobili is one of the ten best players of the two thousands. Yeah, yeah. So like yeah, just he's stuff at like the back that. end of that top ten, but he's like the ninth or like eight, eight, he's in that eight to ten range. All right, the Kansas City Royals winning the World Series, right, making the World Series back to back teams. Like they weren't the most talented teams in either one of those, right? Yeah. But they played well together. They had a they had a really good approach to how they were going to play their games, and they played to their strengths, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, let's let's get back to this magic stuff for a second, so we can have time to get get done with these questions. Uh, I kind of wanted to go over like one or two other things. So in fourth place of the other challenge, there was a Esper control list, kind of like what we've been seeing. You know, a lot of uh, Shark Typhoon type stuff going on. Even though um, yeah, I don't see see any in this one, but this one's pretty cool in the fact that it's a big Yorian deck. But there's four eliminate in this deck. And this is the first time that we've seen a lot of eliminates like this number. Uh, 
Yeah, I think it's the first time you've seen four. It's it's a staple in Inverter. Right. It's usually a two or three of in that deck. But just showing that, like, this card, we talked about this a lot on our top eight list about, you know, tw you know M21 having an impact on uh, Pioneer here. I think this card's legit and probably going to be here to stay. And the fact that as long as the opponent has creatures or planeswalkers in their deck, you're going to find good targets. I mean, like, Look at the look at the deck itself. It, it's its own deck has four Teferi, four Narset, you know, that are that are easy targets, and like you don't have to play a, an unwieldy card to take care of these. While this card is also still good against like the red white burn deck. You know, what I mean, it's still an efficient enough answer for the yeah. early drops. No, eliminate is just a very good pioneer card, uh, and uh, you know it efficiently answers those three mana creatures that the green deck plays and. Uh, I think, you know, the presence of Eliminate probably makes something like Spawn of Mayhem stock go up in Mono Black uh, relative to other options. It, it's a card that we're going to see around and it is going to be a staple. There is, you know, now some tension with the Mono Green deck coming back. Like, you need Downfall against them because all their Planeswalkers cost four and five. So uh, that might be a reason that the Mono Green deck is doing reasonably well because it's well positioned against Eliminate that people are playing more against the aggro decks. You just you have to fire it off on their elves. Like, you just have to yeah. do whatever you can, you know, kind you know, of. No, that kills Jade Light Ranger and Burning Tramissary yeah. still. But, you know, people are trimming on downfalls and stuff because a lot of the Planeswalkers you're killing are Narsets and Teferis. Yeah. No, it's a really uh, good point. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it, it's better to, you know, move, you know, it's better. It was initially better for the Black decks to move towards Eliminate because it helps you out in the aggro matchups without sacrificing your ability to answer those Planeswalkers. But it does hinder your ability to answer some of the walkers out of the Monogreen Devotion deck. Was another cool thing to see in the, the fifth place list that I hadn't really seen much? It's, you know, uh, a Niv-Mizzet Bring to Light deck, but there's four Deathrite Shaman? I don't really get this one. Like, you only have four Fable Passage. You can cycle some Triomes, I guess. Yeah, like, it's it's interesting to me to have four of these. It does, like, ensure that you have two mana on turn two if you go, like, Deathrite into Fable Passage to make sure that your mana is good, but, like... I'm not sure I want to play four of this card in a format where, like, you're not always using it. it. It does probably help your aggro matchup out a lot, right? You know, it can just trade for an early creature against burn. It can gain you life late in the game. It can accelerate you in its best draws. It can trade uh, for a card of some kind, yeah. Yeah, so that's probably where it's coming from, is that they expected a lot of aggro. Okay. Uh, in particular, you know, burn and mono black. Because mono black actually did really well last weekend. It was seemingly everywhere, which is kind of weird. Um because the deck has been pretty dormant for a while. Uh, but it was everywhere last week. So I think that's a reaction to that. Because Deathrite Shaman also does excellent against that deck, right? Yes. You get to actually exile all the recursive creatures. So I, I think, it, you know, this card is a specific reaction to an expected metagame. Makes sense. Uh, in sixth place, we have Blue-White Flyers. Uh, it's kind of this, you know, this the spirits. This is just Spirits. This is yeah, now it's... a deck. Because Lofty Denial is great tannin. I was just about to go in that. Lofty that Denial, very good magic card. I'm probably going to have to eat my words on this one. Um, I thought Lofty Denial might not be good enough, but... Look, here, here's the thing. I said it. I was like, I, I see my... I was like, if I was going to be, like... Uh, if I was going to have a big miss, this was going to be my big miss. Yeah. You know what I said, Tannen? I said the card was really good. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna rub that one in. Hey, you didn't even have Yorian in your list of the last one. That's all I'm gonna say. Shh, that's old news, Tannen. That's two sets ago. Yeah, sure. Like, that's like two years ago, basically. Sure. Nobody remembers. Here's the other thing about it. I'm gonna be happy if this card is good because that means this deck is good, and I like playing decks like this. So yeah, I think this is this is just the stock spirits deck now, and it is significantly you know it has raised the position of spirits in the metagame. Lofty Denial is so good in this deck. 
because you always have mana up on your turn. You know, it, it is so flexible, can answer any sort of, you know, problem that you're having, can answer, you know, counter a key removal spell on your spell queller or your lord, can counter a key creature early to keep the pressure off you while you set up. It's awesome against combo decks still. It, it, it really is the perfect card. So, you know, th- this list is playing too staggering insight where you normally see Rally the Wings. Um, which yeah, is cool. not Curious Obsession. We're talking Staggering Insight. Yeah. yeah, which I think is just worse than Curious Obsession, but... Lifelink um, could, could be relevant in some of the matchups, I'm guessing, so... Yeah, I, I guess, but still, two mana is so much. Yeah. Uh, last little thing I want to talk about, the eighth place list, it's Mono Black. We talked a little bit about this kind of thing. Uh, you're seeing three Rankle and two Spawn of Mayhem. Very important to have your threats... The thing about Spawn of Mayhem being perfect is the fact that it's technically a three drop, but has a four casting cost, so it can get around Eliminate, like you were mentioning. But there's a there's a one of copy of Demonic Embrace. Now this is pretty pretty stock at this point. They all play one Embrace. I actually I tried this out with like three Embraces a it's few weeks ago, yeah. and I was not impressed by the card. But I can see one being like the appropriate number. Obviously, like you can recast from the graveyard, so you don't really want to draw multiples. So high diminishing returns. Uh, but there are spots where the card is really good. Like, you know, I, I was overall unimpressed with it, but there were certain spots where the card just won games that no other card would have by, you know, getting one of my creatures in the air. Uh, what, you know, obviously, like, a great thing to put on, like, a Murderous Rider. <laughs> get, get that get that Baneslayer Angel going. Yeah. Speaking of that, the Baneslayer Angel was in the sideboard of the uh, the Spirits deck. So, cool to see uh, cool to see that. I mean, hey, the, the Pro Dragons, Pro Demons comes up. In this format, there there are creatures of that type getting into the red zone of this format. In fact, uh, I forgot who it was. Somebody actually tweeted that out. It was a it was a picture of them playing. I think Pioneer, and they the person had like a like a, a huge demon or a huge dragon. I forgot it was when they were attacking, and it just, the picture was them putting a Baneslayer Angel in front of it to block or their like protection from dragons or whatever. You know, like the thing that it, the, the first time that text has ever been relevant in the history of Magic or whatever. You know, so. Um, the thing that I think I was most excited for uh, this week, we're going to go ahead and get into that. Uh, the, the questions from our uh, our patrons. Hold, hold on, hold on. I have, one, I have one more thing I wanted to talk about before we get into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, go what, ahead. What do you make of the fact that there are only two Demir Adverters in these two topics? One in each, so two total. Uh, I, I don't think you should read too much into it. I think the deck is still very, very good, and probably the deck that, like, it's probably the litmus test of the format. I think you're people are trying new things. They might be getting bored. They might be doing different stuff. And honestly, I think we're just seeing some diversity happen, which is good. I don't think it's enough right now to like kind of save the format of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm generally in agreement there. And I wanted to make that clear because I think if you look at these two challenge results, the metagame looks great. Everything looks really diverse. There's a ton of different options. Uh, you know, there's, you know, Inverter, Kethis, Burn, Mono Black, Breach. Esper Control, Breach, uh, Green Ag- Golgari Aggro with Company, uh, and, you know, uh, Mono White Devotion as well. And that's like eight different decks that are represented across these top de- top eights with a huge variety in, how the- in their styles and spirits, you know, even more. Uh, so, you know, a ton of different options and it looks great. Maybe you think, like, oh, Pioneer might be healthy again. And I think the problem is Pioneer is so unpopular right now. These tournaments are relatively small. I think there are six or seven round events at this point, these challenges. Um, And when you get a a format that is unpopular and doesn't have a lot of eyes on it, this is generally what you see. And a lot of the talk about how great Legacy used to be and how great Modern used to be, you know, back in the day, 
I think is romanticized of a and false because that was a you know it was a false diversity that was a result of the lower amount of eyes on those formats at that time and as more eyes got onto it you know as legacy became engrossed within the SCG tour and then later modern the formats coalesced around the most powerful archetypes and while you know you can say yeah we know what the most powerful archetypes in pioneer are it's you know inverter breach and mono white have been the most successful over the last six months i think it, because of the way the format has gone from you know popular to not the people that are remaining and are playing pioneer regularly are probably people who are just devotees of their specific deck right there are people who just really want to get some spirits in, some mono green devotion, some burn, and maybe some inverter. You know, maybe some of the people just really like the top decks too, and that creates a diversity in results that is a result of people not min maxing their deck choices as much as they otherwise would. So I'm going to be cautiously optimistic here and wait. I, I assume there will be some pioneer uh, set championship qualifiers for the new OP system in the fall. Though I'm not sure if any have been announced. That's where I'm more interested to see the results, right? When there's there's actual... And not to take anything away from what these people did this weekend or from the challenges. Like, there's some decent prizes. But when there's really stuff on the line, right? And, like, the big names, the big grinders come out. And, like, you know, there's more hype around the tournament. You, know, you think of stuff like, you know, going to Opens or going to Invitationals in real life. Or going to the, you know, Players Tour. I almost said Pro Tour. Players Tour. Or, you know, the, the big qualifiers online. I want to see what that metagame looks like. Yeah, those are going to be bigger events. We are more incentivized have, to play the best deck. Like, yeah, they're going to have the big spot, all the spikes in them who are just looking to win and, you know, don't care about their pet deck or whatever. You know, we got to see results of those tournaments. And yeah, you know, obviously, like the individual accomplishment here is still noteworthy. And it's not to say that like these decks are bad and that you can't top eight big events with them because you certainly can. But... I don't think we're going to see events where you have six, seven, eight different archetypes in that top eight. Instead, you're going to see that two to four copies of Inverter, one to two of Breach, one to two of Mono White, and then a smattering of the rest. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, there's just going to be less room for those decks to to push into the top eight. Whereas these tournaments have a lot of room for them to succeed. Absolutely. It's, you said it better than I possibly can. Let's get all these questions. I'm super excited about these questions today. And the reason I keep wanting to get to them is I think we have like some good discussions tied to a few of them. So I want to make sure that we give them all the ample amount of time they deserve because the, our, our listeners really brought it this week in the last week for them. So we're kind of making up for two weeks here as well. You look like you're wanting to say something, Ross. No, no, we're good. Mm -hmm. All right. So the first one is from, I don't know. You tell me. I'm not asking. I'm, I'm telling you. That's that's their name. I, I don't know. You tell me. Um, number one, if you could design your own card, what color or gold would it be, card type, and what would it say? You want to go first? I mean, this is a uh, an involved question. Well, the thing is, like, you can make it involved or you can make it kind of simple, right? And, like, I know where I typically lean and what I like to kind of do. Um, and for me, it would most likely be a gold card. And some form of, like, if you had to give it some kind of identity type thing, I'm not kind of sure exactly, like, what it would say. It would have to be a kind of, like, an Azurius card. Like, I would love some form of good tempo card. You know what I mean? Like... Oh, yeah. Mine would definitely be a tempo card, too, but it would be Is it? 
Yeah, I want like a flash flyer that like shocks when it enters the battlefield. Okay, see, like that's what yeah. So like you're you're more towards like the aggressive removal end, and I'm more towards like the pure tempo value end. But I I go I could go either way with those, right? Like you know with the decks that I play. So I'm thinking Azorius is the more you know, I'm thinking more of like Snapcaster, Resto, that kind of type of card. And you're thinking more along the lines of like Snapcaster, Bolt type type thing. And that's more is it. So something along those lines, maybe all three. Can we can we play like a 2-1 flyer for one blue red that shocks when it enters the battlefield? Is that too good? Oh, it, just, fly, it has flash though. Only it players only, only players and Planeswalkers? Mm. Oh no, it has to go, it has to go everywhere. Hmm. It would probably have to just be one damage. It would it, no. It would have to be triple. It would have to be like blue, blue, red, or blue, red, red. I think because like one blue, red, I think is just too easy with the way mana bases yeah, yeah. are. It would be like blue, 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 red for a two-one flash flyer that pings anything when it enters the battlefield. Is that too good? That doesn't. Feel I like think it's one is. I think one is fine and possibly like not good enough, and I think two is very good and possibly too good, which is like hilarious yeah. that you can't do like one and a half. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I kind of agree. So I don't know. I, and maybe you end up having to put like the restriction there that it's like creature or planeswalker. Maybe yeah. you can't go upstairs to really pressure them. But I, yeah. I always, I hate the fact that like, I my burn spells in my re, reactive decks never get to go fucking upstairs. And the, if you do play the burn spells, they never kill creatures. Yeah. And I know like they intentionally design the removal spells that way. Like if it's a removal spell that doesn't go upstairs, it probably deals more damage and so it can kill bigger creatures and nobody wants to play all the creatures that die to everything, so they play the creatures that only die to those spells and you know that's just how magic works, but it's really frustrating because I just want to burn my opponents out but also kill all their shit if I have to. I want my cake and I want to eat it, Tannen, because it's a delicious cake. I all I know is Ross. I've never gotten a cake and not eaten it. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, there's yeah. a second. There's so a second part the of the question. That phrase. Yeah. If you could design your own set mechanic, what would it be? I think it would just be along the same lines for me. Like my favorite stuff of all time is stuff like um, flash, flashback type stuff. So either something that like where my cards get to break the parameter of the game of when I can cast them, or my cards get extra value. So since my cards can break the parameter of the game or get extra value, they create a lot of tempo swings, right? You know, like when you're, you think of cards like Snapcaster Mage, you know, getting to cast something out of your graveyard. Like that card is just like probably my favorite card of all time. It's it's up there. It's like Snapcaster Mage, Delver of Secrets, those kinds of things. And um, Delver doesn't necessarily fit into this, but like Snapcaster, just the flexibility of it and the tempo gain from it is is what I'd like to be doing in Magic, right? Like I like to have the most options possible at all times. Right, like I don't like to feel like, like when I think of classic Jund from like standard, you know, and it was like Farseek into Huntmaster into Thragtusk into Rakdos Return. Like I get that was good, that it was very good. That was very boring for me. Like I played the deck in multiple tournaments, and I was like, I this just this is not for me. You know, it's. It, but then in the same same standard format, there was a deck that had like Snapcaster Mage, Resto Angel, Rewind, Dissipate, like uh, Unsummon you know, Searing Spear, Pillar of Flame, and I'm like, that's my shit. Like, give me those cards. You know, like, when you look at the deck in a hole versus the other one, it's a bunch of, like, it's a few rares and a bunch of uncommons and commons versus just a pile of rares. But, like, yeah, your cards are a little bit underpowered, but when you put them all together and play them well, like, you get rewarded for that. And that's the kind of thing, I don't have a specific answer for what mechanic I would want, but maybe something along those lines. Like, maybe bring black, bring back Flashback. Yeah. You know what? A, a thing just popped into my head. Sure. You know, there's a lot of people that really complain about the inherent variance from the land system in Magic, and that that I there's a long rant I can go on about how that criticism I think is really stupid, and the land system in Magic is the thing that makes it so the game so good. Um, but 
I think it might be. Uh, 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 there's a second. Part. So the, and a lot of other games that have come since Magic have tried to quote unquote like fix that by having a system where you can play the cards in your hand essentially as lands or whatever resource they want to call it. Um, and so you you know th that's that can be really interesting because then you have you know that decision of what cards do I use as lands out of my hand and what cards do I use as spells. So there's some you know interesting decision points that are generated by it. But it ultimately creates a game where the decks are too consistent. But what if that were like, were like a mechanic? You effectively create cards that are like split cards between spells and lands. Okay, I, I can I can dig this. Yeah, like is that is that too powerful? I think they would both have to have. Um, so like they would have to be some kind of drawback. Like the spell couldn't be too powerful. You know what I mean? To where it's like just good at all points in time of the game. But when I think about it, what is it like Zodiac Cavern or whatever? The, the land that has Zoetic Morph? Zoetic Cavern, I think. Say it again? Zoetic Cavern. Whatever it was that has that has Morph. You know, that was never really a thing that happened. And that was like kind of a... um, That was kind of an attempt at something like the, that you're saying. I think you'd have to try to balance it out, but I would love to see something like that try. Yeah. And like you, you can imagine like a... I, I wouldn't want it to be an actual split card because I think that would be weird. But if you had a, a mechanic that said like, you may play this card as a land that can tap for a mana of any of its colors or of any colors that are in its casting cost because it would still be a colorless land, I think. And you, you, you know, you could make that work. So like gold cards that had this ability would then become like dual lands. They would probably enter tapped uh, because, you know, it's a, a land with a lot of uh, added flexibility. So they'd probably enter tapped and, you know, they would be somewhat mediocre spells, right? But they would let you play like an artificially low land count or high land count if that's what your deck wanted. I think that would be interesting. To, I think that's that kind of thing is interesting to play with on a small scale. But when you let any card be able to do it, like a lot of other card games have done, you just create too much consistency. But I like I like cards that mitigate inconsistency, and I like you know figuring out how to max, maximize them and and mitigate the natural inconsistency of Magic. I think that's one of the most interesting things to do in the game, which is why I like the land system because it sets up that problem as a real problem to solve and one that you get paid off for solving. Um, but that, I think that that would be a mechanic I'd be interested in exploring. So it's kind of funny that you said uh, this exact thing because of the next question that's actually from our editor Brent. Because um, it kind of ties along to what you were saying, and it, it made me think about this question when you said yourself, because it kind of leads you to a little bit of what you were saying, and you alluded to other games and how they wanted to fix the mana system. And his question is, um, what would you like from Hearthstone to be added to Magic? And a lot of people, I think their their number one answer would be the mana system, because uh, Hearthstone is pretty much a magic port, the way the cards work. The cards have, like, power and toughness, damage stays on. It's a little different, right, when it comes to certain things, but the cards, in general, like, you could look at a Hearthstone card and a magic player could figure it out. Like, that's the casting cost, that's the text, like, that's the power and toughness or whatever, right? But you don't have a card that is, like, a resource, right? You don't draw lands. You just gain a mana crystal every turn. So on turn one, you have one mana. On turn two, you have two. On turn three, you have three all the way up, right? And then you stop. So you will always curve out if you have like a one drop, two drop, three drop. You will always curve out, right? Because you always have the mana, you don't have that problem. That's the answer I think a lot of people would give you. And I'm going to take this question the way that I think that would be the wrong answer. I think that would yeah, be very... Would be absolutely horrible. Yeah, I think that would be very bad for magic. And it would make everything very symmetrical and, and not fun. You know what I mean? You take out a lot of the variance of the game, which is actually a good part of the game. Like, if you want to play a game with less variance, go play chess. 
and then have fun playing against anyone who's better than you because it's awful. You cannot win, right? But like I can go on, I can go in a game all the time and, and beat people that are better than me all the time. Like Ross, every now and then beats me in a game of Magic. It happens every now and then, you know. So like at least he has a chance when we play. That's what keeps me coming back for more. <laughs> so it keeps you coming back for more. So I'm while you answer this question a little bit, I'm think to see if there was something maybe more specific that I would want to see directly involved. But like I don't know how enough about Hearthstone to really answer it from a game mechanic perspective. But I think I I think we all might appreciate having you know the blizzard behind it and there are uh like customer support and that whole infrastructure oh I, two things i i can think of two things immediately now um hero powers do you know what hero powers are yeah so in hearthstone um you choose your class like in your class as a specific identity and cards that you can choose from like, there's neutral cards and there's class cards and that's all you can play so if like if you're a hunter you cannot play like paladin cards and, and vice versa I'm, I'm telling for people at home who haven't played who haven't played but Every class allows you to have, like, you have this little, this little button next to your hero that is uh, two mana, and it does something. Like, Paladin is two mana, make a 1-1, one, one, right? Hunter's two mana, deal two damage to your opponent, right? You know, things like that. So, like, that, that one's a little more aggressive, right? So, it's trying to kill you. Paladin is trying to, like, get on the board and stabilize a board, you know, kind of thing. Um, I think having a mana sink would be cool in some ways for, uh, for Magic, where you're, like, you know, you have to reveal it before the game. It'd be kind of like a pain. And this is my mana sink. That person would be like, well, this is what I've got. Maybe that'd be something that's too too far gone, but I, I can see that, if, especially if we like maybe tone down the power of cards overall in the future, something like that would be cool. And the other thing that I think I would like to see... That feels a lot like Companion. Yeah, that's what I say. It feels a lot like Companion, but it feels like a fixed version of Companion. Yeah, because you need the effect to be very minor. Yeah, I want it to be it mild. Along for free. Yeah, I want it to be very mild. And the, the one thing that I think that I would want to see, and I think this might actually just be the right answer is uh, the fact that in Hearthstone, if a card is too good or too bad or doesn't work as intended or whatever you want to say, they don't ban it. They fix it. They just change the card because you cannot play Hearthstone in paper, right? So they digitally alter the card. They, you know, if a card's too good, you know, they're like, oh, this is too good of a five drop. Like, we'll just make it a six drop. Or... Uh, we figured out that this four four should probably be a four three, so it gets traded into, into more often. You know, like uh, one because in Hearthstone you can attack your your creatures into their creatures as like so your creature could be a removal spell. But if like the way the format works, like you know what I mean, like no one's three drop can attack this four drop that's getting played everywhere. That's not okay. You know, kind of you get what I'm saying, like that kind of thing. So they can fix they can fix that kind of thing. I would love that that flexibility in Magic for them to just be like, all right, well maybe maybe Teferi, like. Yeah, we could we could change the numbers on it, you know, or we could change we could just take the static ability off of it, or something, you know, like let's try it that way. Like I'm just I'm literally just spitballing here. Like what's what's another card that's like a huge problem right now? Like maybe we can make, uh, you know, growth spiral cost 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 three, or we can make reclamation cost like five. Like would reclamation be as good if you can't grow spiral into it on turn three? Probably not. Like no, it would be much worse. Yeah, if that card costs five mana. Like, yeah, you just can't do that in a paper game. Though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You can't do that. But I would, I would love if there was a way to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, because we be nice we technically did that with companion. Like we, we just technically did it. They were like, look, we're just gonna fucking change it. Like this is just the way this yeah, card works I, now. I, I guess. And I was surprised that they changed it as much as they did. Um. So. Yeah, uh, th there are definitely some things that can change. But I like that. I think we've. I, I like that we're both on this on the same page regarding the mana system of magic because it is just it's so important to the game and the the just how interesting the game is 
And I really hate this push against it and desire to create a game where everything plays out the same. We've already seen Magic move in that direction with the London Mulligan. And honestly, like I've I've kind of soured on the London Mulligan as a result. I kind of want to go back to the old Mulligan rule. Where you actually but, like lose cards. Yeah, I I like it on uh, I like it in limited, and I honestly I don't really see a huge issue in having different Mulligan rules in limited and constructed. But um, I, that's that would be my ideal is to have the London Mulligan for limited and the uh, Vancouver Mulligan rule for constructed. But that's a that's another rant. Yeah, exactly. All right. Next question. Have either of you felt like you've hit a plateau in your magic skill? If you have, uh, how did you over, have you overcome it? If so, uh, how did you? Um, I definitely have uh, in my career. There's definitely times where I felt like uh, I wasn't doing anything to further myself in the game. It's kind of like what I mentioned earlier on the show. Like, you know, I, I just started playing to play. I'm, I'm going through that right now. I, I play on arena, I draft, and I do feel like I'm learning, like I'm learning the format, but I still make mistakes here or there because I'm doing something else at the same time, right? You know, I have the dual monitor set up. I'll have arena up on one and like, I'm looking at like, you know, baseball and work stuff on the other screen. I'm trying to do all that at the same time and that, that kind of plateaus me. And my answer to how to fix this kind of thing is kind of like what I said earlier. It's like, you don't necessarily have to practice more. You just have to practice smarter. Like, where are you plateauing? Like, where is there a part of your game that you can improve? Uh, one of the things I always answer when people ask me, how do you get better at magic? Like, like what's one of the number one ways? I always say, just be honest with yourself. Like, I way too often when people lose games of magic, they're like, oh, I just like lost because, uh, you know, they curved out perfectly or I missed a land drop. Like, yeah, that might be true in a lot of spots, but you didn't play perfectly. You know what I mean? There's, there's something for you to learn somewhere. So I think if you're honest with yourself, when you feel yourself plateauing, there's something that you can work on, right? Like, you know, you're like, oh, I know all my matchups from my side. Well, then go play them from the other side. You know, get a deeper understanding of what's going on. Like, you're, you're, you're never perfect. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're never better than everyone else. Like, that, that's a thing that's not going to happen in this game. So you should be striving to be better at all times. So when you hit a plateau, it's generally a self-reflection of you in the game. Yeah, I agree with that. I would say that there's generally two ways to approach this problem. Or, or you know, that's not the best way of putting it. There, there's two common modes of thought. For approaching this problem and one highlights a lot of what you did which i think are the the necessary conditions for improvement that's the like be honest with yourself you know actually strive to get better put in the work uh you know but work smart uh those kinds of things and, and you know that's important you you should do that then there's the the sufficient conditions the really like the things that you uh you know still need on top of that to really improve and to me, that is just working on your problem-solving abilities. You know, you you can look at your results from a year and say, like, I haven't gotten any better and I don't feel like I'm playing any better and still have no real way to diagnose the problem because you're just not, you know, you haven't built that skill. Problem-solving is a skill. That's why we teach math to kids, you know, because it teaches problem-solving. And, you know, you've got to build that skill in order to be able to diagnose and design a way to overcome whatever issues you're having. So there's never going to be a one-size-fits-all to solu solution to overcoming a plateau because every plateau is going to be different and you have to have the skill of problem-solving built in yourself to be able to figure out how to get past the specific plateau that you're facing. So I know that sounds very vague, and it is, but it's necessarily vague because this problem is one that's very wide in scope. 
So a lot of it to me is just being better at problem solving. And it's one of the reasons that I think I got significantly better at magic while barely playing over my four years in college, because I was spending four years studying high level math and I came out of it with a much higher ability in problem solving and analyzing, you know, any sort of system. And so I would look at a game of magic or a matchup and I just had a better understanding of what was going on. And then I would look at issues that I was having playing magic and I was able to diagnose the mistakes I was making more readily and more accurately and then, you know, fix them. So, you know, to me, it's just getting better at problem solving and you can do that outside of magic. You know, you don't have to study math like I did, but, you know, find a way to really work on that skill. Yeah, playing uh, poker and Hearthstone at the level that I did definitely helped out with my magic skills. Yeah, well. everything uh, correlates really well. I I, de I would definitely encourage like you know approaching it from a non-magic perspective too, because if you're plateauing in magic, you've probably like you're, there's something that you're missing, and so it might be more readily apparent if you change your perspective and maybe run into a similar problem in a different game, right? Uh, a change in perspective is always really really valuable uh, and can help you see things that you didn't see from another perspective. So. Uh, you know, uh, look at different games, different d different avenues to stress the problem-solving part of your brain and to, you know, build your skill that way. Absolutely. Um, I'm a big fan of this next question as well. Um, I might answer this one multiple times, so I'll have some fun with it. But Is, is your answer going to be the one you did while coaching? Uh, it, there, there will be one uh, that's going to be part of it. I, that, that's I'm the one I'm impressed by. Say it again? That was the play that I was impressed by. Yeah. So uh, this is from The Cody Hope. Uh, what is your proudest magic play, like a sequencing or line that you made that you still talk about? Uh, I'm going to go with one of the first ones that I, I was playing against Tar Patel uh, last year or a year and a half ago on the SCG Tour, right? And um, we were not a feature match or a feature match. I can't remember, but I think we were not a feature match. And we were on like the end of a table, right? You're like the first match at a table, right? And we had like 20 people watching us, right? And I'm playing Tron, like Monogreen Tron, and he's playing Arclight Phoenix. And... There was a play that I made in, I think it was game three, where um, I had Tron on turn three. So I had seven mana, and I had multiple copies of Karn in my hand. And so I, like, drove my card for my turn, played my different Tron piece, thought for a minute, like, looked at, looked at the Tart's hand, remembered the way that he played the game, and passed. Like, I just didn't cast Karn. And... I could feel the physical reactions of everyone around me of when I was just like, Go. You know, someone like I could see someone like look at my like, you know, lean over and look at my lands to make sure I had three different Tron lands like that. I had Tron or whatever. And the reason that I did this, it was a really weird situation. So I had all three Tron lands. I also had a map in play, like an expeditions map in play. Um, Tarek the turn before had like just been cantripping, but it left up a blue mana and uh, was going into his turn three. Right. Like he had he had, you know, uh, Spire Bluff on one. I don't know. Spire Bluff on two. Right. And like cantripped cantripped and then left up a blue mana i was 100 sure that he had a spell pierce right like just 100 sure that he had a spell pierce but now why does that why does that matter i have multiple cards i can just spell you know karn again the turn after this the problem is i don't have a fourth land in my hand so i only have seven mana right now this map is really important being in play because one of the main ways they beat you is they blood moon you right and like it just slows you down enough right so if i was going to get blood moon the next turn i wanted to be able to use my map to search up a forest and uh, I had like a, I think I had a claim in my hand, but I wanted to be able to like use my map, search up forest, forest claim into Karn, right? Like, you know, a big turn like that. But also I had a, I had a, uh, an Ulamog in my hand. So I wanted to be able to go get the tower and Ulamog next turn to where 
if it does get counterspelled, like let's say he has rejection or whatever too, like you could have spell pierce or rejection, then at least I get something out of my out of my card. But if I play Karn, he spell pierces it and then blood moons me, I'm in a really bad spot because like they're he's probably going to beat me from there. Right? Yeah, he can either Blood Moon you on three, and then you're forced to spend your entire turn answering the Blood Moon, and he gets on tap again. Or he can, you know, have an Arclight Phoenix turn and, like, double Phoenix you, and suddenly you're under a ton of pressure, and you don't have the mana to Ulamog yet, and he gets to untap and maybe even Blood Moon you, you know, uh, when he untaps after he's got some pressure, or have Counterspell up, or, you know, play another threat, you know, a whole myriad of possible solutions. Whereas now he's the one in the awkward spot where if he goes aggro and you know gets out goes for a phoenix turn you ulamog him, uh, if he goes blood moon you get to destroy the blood moon immediately and carn him, or if he uh, if or if he just holds back you get to find another land and resolve a carn through a spell pierce anyway, and you're in the same spot but you didn't you're you've deaded the spell pierce. Yeah, and I think just like almost every person just jams the carn there like without thinking right. And I remember when the game was over, like when I, like I won a very close one, right? Like I won a close game after that. And when the game was over, like he asked me about it. He's like, what happened on turn three? You like tanked for a second in this path. Did you just like have nothing and you're bluffing or whatever? And like, I just, I still had my hand or whatever. And I just like showed him, you know, cause I think a Karn got into play, but I showed him two more Karns or whatever. I mean, I was like, yeah, I had multiple Karns that turn. He's like, what? And I just explained it to him. He's like, oh yeah, that just like makes perfect sense. And he was like, I was like, did you have the spell person? He was like, yeah. Or the, you know, he had whatever. And I was just like, yeah, this this game would have just been horrible for me otherwise. What about you? You got you got an answer to this? I'll come. I'll bring back one or two. You flipped the tempo script on him. Yeah, got him. Got him good. Also, it made him waste a mana, right? And if I can make a Phoenix player waste a mana, yeah, it's like here's the thing. I'll waste seven because I'm gonna have ten next turn. Phoenix wasting a mana is a big deal. Yeah, that's a, that that that's a play that really shows the the importance of like mapping out. You know, several turns in advance. How is this going to play out right now? It's a very tactical decision there. That's not as much a big picture play. Like, this is how the matchup goes, so I need to play like this. It's just a, this is what I think he has in hand. I have the read. This is how this game is going to play out over the next two turns. And you're just picking the best, like, the scenario that sets you up the best. It's one of those ones where, like, I kind of wish, A, that it was on camera, or B, that it was in a team event where, like, you're sitting next to me, and I either get to bump you and be like, hey, watch this, go, or whatever, or, like, you see it, and I have to, like, straight face, like, keep you straight face because you would just be like what the fuck like you know because if you like didn't think about it you'd be like wait 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 what you know like i could see you reacting because i would sitting in a seat next to a person be like what the hell anyway all right you got one um yeah i've got one i'm sure there's a bunch of things that like i've just forgotten over the years Oh, i've got a couple Um, more i'm gonna fire off here in a second so but one i i can remember this one was actually on camera uh which is nice it was in the is this the top eight or the top Four. This is the top four of the Legacy Open in the first non-Philly Philly Open. But this was before the Valley Forts Casino. They held it in downtown, some podunk town in a horrible venue. Truly awful. They've, there's a reason they didn't go to Philly until after that until they found a different one. It was really probably the worst venue SAG has ever used. Um, you know, it was freezing cold in the place, I think, because it, it, this was January. And it wasn't well heated and it was just isolated, like in the middle of nowhere. The food was options were horrible. There was there were no redeeming qualities to this venue, but I'm playing Storm, actually. And this is the first time I was playing Storm after a year and a half of playing Elves. So everybody's like all surprised. I mean, Ross isn't playing Elves. He's playing Storm. That's weird. And I, I make the top. I'm in the top four of this tournament. 
and you know, first time playing Storm, so that already feels good. And this was a Players Championship year, so I'm like setting myself up early. I think I was actually like battling in season one that year. I think Jim ended up getting first because he just went to every open, and I queued for that Pro Tour coming up and like skipped two. And Jim won an open while I was off playing a Grand Prix. It was bad. And uh, but I'm playing against Sneak and Show in the top four. And I, d- I don't remember exactly what my draw was in game one, but it didn't really come together. And I probed at my opponent and seen their hand, and they had a fluster storm, and they had uh, they, I knew they had two copies of Emrakul and a sneak attack. Okay. And I wasn't going to be able to combo, but I fire off a Cabal Therapy, and my opponent brainstorms in response. And, you know, the assumption is that I'm probably just going to take Flusterstorm. And I, I think I had enough mana to pay for a Flusterstorm, even after the Brainstorm. Like, I had four lines of play. Uh, but maybe, maybe not even. I don't know. But he Brainstorms and lets it resolve. And I sit there and think for a second. And then I just name Emrakul. Because I put this guy on on hiding the sneak attack. Because that's the scary one. You know, he's got two... He's guy has a redundant copy of the threat, right? And, uh, like, you know, and he's just expecting me to name a counterspell. But I had seen his hand the previous turn, and I named Emrakul, assuming that he, you know, put Sneak Attack on, on top and a, the dead Emrakul that he wanted to shuffle away on his turn, right? So he's going to draw Sneak Attack for turn, play a fetch, and shuffle away the dead Emrakul. But that strands an Emrakul in his hand, and by taking it out of his hand, I shuffle his deck with the Emrakul trigger, effectively get, putting him on zero combo pieces and buying me a lot of time, hopefully, to put my hand together. And it only works if he has exactly, like, counterspell, sneak attack, two Emrakuls. Like, his hand has to be very specific for this play to make any sense. Um, I ended up, you know, losing the game. He just drew some cantrips yeah. and reassembled his combo pretty quickly. Obviously, like, he still loses this game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I lost the game, but it was a really cool play with Cabal Therapy, which is one of my favorite cards. And a card that I think I'm, I'm quite good at. Um, just, you know, naming the right card. Even if I don't hit, like, I generally feel like I named the right card. Um, or, or close to it as much of a, as a right card as there is. Uh, I love playing with Meddling Mage and Cabal Therapy. Just get, getting anybody with either of those cards is just great. I would love to see... I would love to play against you casting Cabal Therapy, me casting Brainstorm, and how deep the levels would go on that. I think that would <laughs> yeah. be really, really fun. Um, a couple other cool ones that I'm talking about. I'm tr- let me see if I can remember the exact one that you were mentioned, where I used to do a lot of coaching, and in one of the coaching sessions that I did... Someone wanted to learn how to play Spirits in Modern better, back when Spirits was really good. This is back when, like, KCI was really popular, and Spirits was, like, the natural prey of that. So Spirits was very, very good. We're playing the Mirror Match, and the game got real complicated, right? Like, there's a lot of, there's, like, a lot of creatures in play, and we knew that our opponent, um, I'm trying to remember this. Oh, yeah, yeah. We knew that our opponent had a way to stop our collected company. Like I needed, we needed a force through a collected company, right? The problem was, is they had uh what's the one drop that, that force spikes for, for spirit powers. Mausoleum wanderer. Yeah. They had wanderers in play and possibly a spell in their hand. I don't remember the exact situation. Maybe you could remember this better, but it came down to um, in the middle of combat, I had to spell queller. We had to spell queller our own, Right? Is this what? Yeah. I, so you, you, you know, your opponent was attacking, as I remember you telling me the story, and your, your, you know, person you're coaching is trying to like go to blocks, and you stop him. Yes. Right. And you're like, cast collected company, and he was like, you know, he's unsure why you're asking this because like it's just going to get countered by mausoleum wanderers, um, and you're like, no, no, just just cast the collected company, 
and you, you know listen to like it'll work out it's gonna be great and so he just does it and then they you know go to counter it and then you just play spell queller and quell your own collected company and then block with that spell queller they've used their wanderer so it resolves when the queller dies and then you get to company you hit what you need and you kill them on the battlefield. yeah i was gonna say that that's exactly what it was it was i needed to kill the quell i needed them to use their uh their thing to, to, to counter that and then in response we queller our own uh company so and then we it, use it the queller and wanderer to, then because you have three mana up for the queller and they're not going to use multiple wanderers unless you tap for the first one so unless it's a four four mausoleum wanderer which seems unlikely. It might have involved possible. a vial and stuff too, as well, or whatever. But like, oh, well, yeah, maybe. Well, were you playing modern? I, yeah, yeah I guess modern. You it was modern. Yeah, so yeah, maybe you had a vial on three. That that's probably what, okay. So yeah, yeah, I think you had a vial on three, four lands, and they sack their wanderer, and then you vial in the queller, block with the like, target your own collected company, block with it, let it die in combat, get the cards you need to kill them on the backswing. That's just awesome. Yeah, and like, it, yeah, we needed to hit a lord or a, a phantasmal image type thing. We hit it, and it killed them on the backswing. I was like, yeah, this is just super, super cool. Um, one of the, the cooler plays I made. I will say, this one's not a specific play, but I do have a best of SCG moment where I have no permanents in play on turn three, and I'm at like three in Legacy, and then I win like 14 Emrakul's. turns later after getting Emrakul'd out of Sneak Attack. Yeah, they like turn two Sneak Attack me like with Emrakul, and I'm like, and I had involved the five in that game <laughs> or whatever. So uh, I don't think I have a ton of like, you know, really just like awesome plays like that one you just described with, with, with Spellcaller and Coco, as opposed to like, I'm generally more happy when I play like a really good game. You know, when I identify very early, like what a game is about and it's kind of unusual, or if I just really play like super crisp and like beat an opponent who really outdrew me, but I just, you know, like hung in there, play really, really tight and won a close game and maybe it involves like a timely draw or two but like you know sometimes it, it requires that and like i did that a lot with you know with elves you know uh because i just knew the deck so well i could find lines that other people didn't see and i would win games that people thought were unwinnable like you know i beat uh, i beat reed duke when he had two engineered plagues and a knight of souls betrayal on the battlefield that's impressive <laughs> and i i actually i and i was deathly ill I, I had to get this was game three of the match and I had to get up to vomit before this game started because I got I had food poisoning that day I at least I think it was food poisoning uh but like um maybe it was just a stomach bug because like everybody in our room got sick so probably like unless we all ate the same thing unless it was that sub I think we had breakfast at a subway in one of the casinos so it was either food poisoning from that subway or a stomach bug that went around uh, and we all had it staggered so it, it must have been a, a bug but like I, I started getting sick during that day and it was day two of an envy on Saturday. And like, you know, that, that moment, and this was the second to last round of the tournament. And we were, we weren't playing, we were playing for cash. And I, I got up from the table, uh, you know, right before game three started, threw up in the bathroom, came back, finished the, the game. And, uh, then desperately, you know, uh, pleaded with my last round opponent to just ID so we could both top 32 and he, they, they did, and, and then went back to my hotel room and lied down for a very long time. Nice. I actually uh, uh, remembered another specific one that was really cool. I don't remember every tiny bit of specifics, because this was easily 10 years ago. But this was in, like, a PTQ or something, and I'm playing... I was either playing... I think I was playing Extended or Standard. I can't remember, but I'm playing Callblade. And if I remember right, it was, like, not fully powered Callblade, so maybe it was, like, early modern or whatever. But I'm playing, like, Squadron Hawks, blue-white, like, Callblade type thing. And I'm trying to remember what my opponent... I think my opponent was playing, like, Jund or something, right? And 
uh, or they were playing Splinter Twin. I can't remember what it was. They might have been playing Splinter Twin because I needed them. They were playing around a Path to Exile, like the whole game, right? But we were they were a little tight on man. Like they were playing around a card I needed them to like play into so I could like safely play the rest of the game. You know what I mean? And I remember I got down to only like one or two cards in my hand. And I, so I draw my card return. I have three cards in my hand. And my opponent, you could only do this against a thinking player, but you can't do it against a master. This is like one of those bluffs where like you need to be a poker player to understand the level that your opponent's on. So... Um, I have three cards in my hand, and so the, the turn starts. I play a land and cast Squadron Hawk. It's the first Squadron Hawk I've cast this game. There are none in my graveyard. My opponent's like, yeah, resolves. So I pick up my deck, take two Squadron Hawks out, put them on the table, shuffle my deck, and present it. And they go, I see them look at it, and they're like, they're like how many cards do you have left in hand? I go, one, and kind of like shrug. And he goes, oh, okay. And I see him make the mental thing, oh, he just has the other Squadron Hawk in his hand, Right? So, uh, you know, I tap the other, I have like, you know, four, five more man up or whatever, maybe. And I tap the other four man, I play the Squadron Hawks and say, go. And the guy's just like, untaps, put a Splinter Twin on this thing. I'm like, path it. Or whatever, the last card man, he just goes, what, what? And I'm like, yeah, man, I just didn't get the fourth Squadron Hawk. Or whatever. Or like, maybe I only played one of them to leave up one, you know, I had three more mana left over. And I was like, play the other one, don't get anything, go. Or whatever. So like, it was just like, yeah, the last card, the last two cards in my hand are Squadron Hawk when they're not. And, like, it doesn't make sense if you really think about it from, like, the aspect of the game that I would have a Squadron Hawk man, because, like, I think I left up, like, three mana the turn before or something, you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't make sense in that instance or whatever, but I just remember I was like, this person is going to infer that the last card in my hand yeah, is the other believe me. Yeah, they're going to believe me, right? So I did some 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 cool stuff. Like I've run I've run a couple cool bluffs here or there, you know, like, yeah. stuff like that, but you have to know the I, level uh, your opponent's on as well. Yeah, I mean, the same thing is true of the, the Cabal Therapy play. Like, I have to believe that my opponent will tuck the the sneak attack, uh, and then we'll think, oh, I'm going to shuffle after that, so I'll just put the card I don't want b below that. Whereas, you know, if they think about what I'm going to name, they could really level me by putting both Emrakuls on top of their deck and assume, like, they're going to try to get me if I tuck the sneak attack. Uh, and, and, you know, so that, there's just a lot of levels to them. I, I remembered a, a cool one with Elves where I left an opponent kind of dumbfounded after a game because they were playing the the old Metalworker deck, if you remember that one in Legacy, which was, you know, had a good Elves matchup because they essentially main decked hate cards, you know, Chalice and Trinisphere and stuff like that, and they could back it up with a with a fast kill uh, against a non-interactive deck. So a scary matchup for sure. They were on the play, and this was their curve. They had Ancient Tomb, Chalice for one, and, you know, they're playing against me, so they know I'm on a fucking Elves. That, you know, their chalice is good. Their turn two is Grim Monolith, uh, Trinisphere. And that, they might have played a land, but they definitely had another two-mana land the, on the next turn. I think a City of Traders, And they just untapped the uh, Grim Monolith on turn three. And turn four, they played a Koldotha Forgemaster. On turn five, they untapped, drew their card, and conceded. Because my sequence was turn one, fetch land, go, after the chalice. Next turn, fetch land, go. They play the Trinisphere. I, uh, because they played the Trinisphere. On their end step, I crack them both, find two dry arbors. I play a third land on turn three and play a Greenson Zenith or an Elvish Visionary, like one of the two. I got an Elvish Visionary in play and drew a card. And then they play the Forge Master. And now they're at 16 life because they've tapped Ancient Tomb twice. Okay. And my next turn was uh, tap my three lands, and this is definitely a Greens and Zenith, for Quirion Ranger. Then I 
played a Gaia's Cradle, tapped it for four mana, cast a Natural Order, sacrificing one of the Dryad Arbors, found a Crater Hoof Behemoth, then returned the four, the one non-Dryad Arbor Forest I had in play, you know, it was a, the third land was like a Bayou, untapped the other Dryad Arbor after the trigger, and now I have a 9-9 Crater Hoof Behemoth and two 5-5 attackers in the Dryad Arbor and the Elvish Visionary. So I'm attacking for 19, and all of my creatures have 5 power, so the Forge Master had to chump block, and then my opponent went to 2 and untapped with access to 2 mana yeah. and a Trinisphere in play. Nice. <laughs> Alright, I love the uh, layering of these questions. The next one is from Mason Grode, and it kind of, it's just really good to back up the these questions with this one because I'm about to embarrass the shit out of myself. Uh, do you have a memory of a humiliating punt or misplay? What was it, and how did you handle it or get over it? One of the ones I've that stands out. never misplayed in my life. Yeah, never misplayed in my life. It's never happened. I've also never been humiliated on camera effort. Yeah. It's never happened. There's never been videos made of your humiliating efforts. <laughs> yeah. I have two very specific ones that jump into my mind. There's a, there's a short one that I'll do real quick. I have a feature match against Jerry Thompson a year or two ago where he's playing, I think, like, Mono Red Prowess when that was, like, you know, Phoenix was starting to become a big thing, and I'm playing Tron. And on camera, on, like, turn two, I go, like, I go like Tron land on one, like, Tron land on two, and I just, like, play a map into an Ancient Grudge that's flashbackable from his graveyard. Because he, like, fl- like, he, like, grudged onto my map on one or whatever. I was like, play another map of one mana up, go. And the announcers are all like, if Tannen's playing this map here, you have to believe that he has Tron rolled up. And, like, you know, on turn three, I definitely played a different Tron land and cast Karn and Karn him or whatever, right? I did not have the third Tron land, and I forgot why I talked myself into casting the uh, the map, but I did, and then immediately was like, oh my god, I meant to do this on, like, turn three, where, like, you know, I could play another land and crack it, you know what I mean? And not only was it bad because he got to kill my map and I had to top deck, a, like, a four of, like, a four outer, but it gave him the third spell to bring back his phoenixes or whatever the next turn, because, you know, he got to go, like, spell, spell, flashback, ancient grudge on your thing, like, attack you with phoenix, so, like... It was about to be, like, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. But instead, I just looked like I had it. But if you pay attention to the video, like, really pay attention, you can tell that card comes off the top of my deck when I put the third different land in. So, like, just better lucky than good. Uh, maybe I was a bit nervous. It's, like, really funny. I, I, I generally don't get nervous in games of Magic, and it doesn't affect me. But, like, for some reason with Jerry, like, um, I can't remember if that was the first time I beat him or not. But, like, I was, like, 05 lifetime against him. He just always got the better of me. And almost every time it's on camera. So, it's just like, Jesus, I just want to win one of these games. And it's funny because, like, now I'm, like, 3-0 against him the last, like, three times I've played him. You know, like, I played him at the Pro Tour and Legacy. It was, like, my worst possible matchup. So, obviously, I win the games pretty easily. Like, you know, I just had, like, one Jace in my deck where he had, like, three. And I just turned four, Jaced him through counter spells, like, every game. They were never, it was, like, literal perfects. You know, like, just got so lucky and stuff. And but um, and then I have another one, but I'm going to let you uh, tell one if you want to tell one here. If you, it's okay if you, if you think you've never misplayed, and I'll just tell my other story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's the two obvious ones, my misplay against Patrick and then the the Reclamation Sage more recently. I actually wrote an article. That produced uh, one of the best gifts of all time. The little picture of you is, yeah. is amazing. But. I've actually, uh, I, I have, I did this last night, actually, after my stream is over. So it hasn't been on stream yet, but I created a new channel point redemption on my stream. And it's just to have me make the Ross face. Okay. So for two thousand like channel points, I'll just make the Ross face. Nice. So that's that's a that's a new one. Uh, so um, I actually wrote an article about three different you know significant mistakes I've made in high leverage spots. 
I can only remember one of the three that I talked about in the article off the top of my head, and it was a, a poorly played Thoughtseize playing for top eight of a Legacy Open against Kevin Jones. Um, and I can't remember what the other two are, but you can look up, like, I can't remember exactly what the title of the article is, but it's probably like three, it, it's probably something pretty straightforward. Let's see if I can Google it. Um, so, um, that's, uh, that's definitely, uh, something you can look into, but I've made so many mistakes over the years. I like it. You know, I, I punted away cash at a pro tour against Stan Sifka in 2013. I, uh, you know, I've, you know, I've, I just punt all the time. So it, when it happens often enough, you just, they, they stop really affecting you. I've got another really good one that's got like a good part of the story to it. So, uh, again, this is way back in the day. I'm playing a PTQ in a local area. And it's funny. This is another Tron. This is way before Monogreen Tron. This is me playing Blue White Tron in Extended, right? You know, like I'm trying to decree of justice people. I'm trying to mind slaver lock them with Academy runes, right? And um, it's in the top eight, right? And I just get done playing like a wonderful match. Like I played super tight, played really, really well. Um, the match ends, you know, like we're the only table still playing in the place. And there's like, you know, a bunch of people watching. It's like some of the height of Louisiana magic. Right. And, uh, I remember very distinctly that as soon as the match is over, you know, like, you know, like when you're focusing on a match, you don't really, you can't really tell what's going on around you. You kind of get tunnel vision. And then when you're done, you kind of realize like, I was like, Oh man, a lot of people were watching this. And I get up to like, kind of move around for a minute. And Tom Ross is just standing over my shoulder. Right. And he looks at me and he goes, you played that really well. And anyone who knows him personally, for Tom to say that to you, that is a resounding endorsement, right? For Tom to say anything to you. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he's you played that really few well. words. Because, like, in my mind, it's, like, one of those things where, like, you know, if you're, like, pumped, you have adrenaline, you're like, man, I played that perfect. Like, you know, I just played the match for, like, so good. I played out of my mind. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this, I have to tell you this because literally the next round, I'm playing against Balancing Act, you know, balancing things. Where they have, like, you know, the, the balance card, the format of balance card or whatever. Yeah, and all the invasion lands that sacrifice. Yeah, and in game three, um, I, like, turn to a signet, and turn three just have natural Tron, so I have eight mana, you know, because I have a blue-white signet play. So I'm like, go. Hashtag blast. Yeah, I'm like, go. And so in his turn, he's like, well, he's like, I have to go for this, because if you, if you have it, like, I can just never win. And he just, you know, sacks all of his lands and ca casts balancing. And I'm like, I don't have a counter spell, but I have a decree in my hand or whatever, right? And he just wanted to do that to kill my lance, right? So I float, um, I f I'm like, all right, float on my mana in response. And he goes, yeah, sure. And I'm like, all right, cycle decree of justice for whatever, you know, five, whatever the number is. And he goes, okay, that resolves. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, how about my balancing thing? Because I was like still doing it in response. In my head, I knew to like float the mana response, let his spell resolve. Because he's like, the creature's still, like, he was very apologetic about it. So he was like, the creature still die, right? And I just go, Oh no! Like you know, like I I realize it, and I lose a close game after that because like he ends up drawing a couple more lands, gets a Terravor into play, and like I can't find Tron again because this isn't like Mono Green Tron where you can just rebuild real easily. You have to like naturally kind of find it. You know, like it was it was a lot less uh, consistent in finding Tron, and it's just so funny that I make that big of a boneheaded like just brain fart of just like doing one thing in response and then. Yeah, like, it's fine, and then do this other thing in response. That, like, right after I got that ringing endorsement from Tom of, like, that might be the best game of Magic I've ever seen you play, you know, or whatever he said. And I was just like, oh, well, here's, here's, this, here's this ball, and let me just punt it right out the fucking window. And I've always responded pretty well to it. Like, 
I get down on myself for a second, but like, honestly, man, you just got to get over it, move on. I know I say that it's like, like it sounds easy, but like, I don't know. I've always had a pretty good temperament for it. I try to learn from it. I use it as a learning experience and just move on. All right, next question. Yeah, we gotta, let's try to get through these. It's hard, you're gonna make mistakes. Yeah, let's try to get through these. Um, Jace Kent asks, I'm gonna kind of paraphrase this one. Young Pyromancer, Thalia, Garden of Thraben, Snapcaster Mage, Termogoyf, Dark Covenant. These five two drops have been staples of other Eternal formats. Could you see any or all of them being good additions to Pioneer right now or over time? Thanks. I think all of these, besides Snapcaster Mage, could be great additions to Pioneer. I think Termogoyf would actually be okay in this format with Fatal Push and Eliminate being the typical removal spells, and it wouldn't be absurd with no fetch lands. I think Dark Confidant is a card that we could possibly see in this format. I'd be possible, whatever. I think Thalia of Guardian Thraben would be very good for the white decks and giving them another identity in the format and possible ways of beating some of the other, you know, like, can you imagine Breach having to deal with Thalia as well? You know, it is a two-mana answer, which, you know, kind of, you know, plays into Blast Zone along with uh, Wet Ball, but, like, it being able to attack is a big deal. Yeah, it's just a very main deckable card, too. Uh, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm, I'm kind of interested in, like, how good would Snapcaster Mage be? I would be worried about it being... Here's the thing. It would give new decks in the format, right? Like, I, I think that you could probably play either some kind of Phoenix deck or some Tempo deck. Uh, with what, what is the, the new card that we just talked about? Like, Sea Beyond or whatever? You know, the one where if you cast it from your graveyard, it's it's uh, Ancestral. Oh, yeah. See the Truth. Yeah, See the Truth. I think, like, Ops, See the Truth, that. And, like, you don't have Lightning Bolt, right? Like, you don't have some of the most, like, efficient stuff. Like, when you think about what it's flashing back in um, Modern, you think of, like... You know, you do have Thoughtseize, right? And I think that's where people would go. They would go, like, that route. That's the thing I worry about is, like, that card being in, um, like, Inverter-like decks seems kind of kind mm. of hairy. Is it, it... Inverter doesn't play a lot of counterspells. Like, is it that much better than Jace in those decks? It's better, but not by a ton. Yeah, I'm not sure, right? Like, it... it you know, it's, it's always going to be at its best in more reactive decks. Adding the body to it is the big deal, right? Like, just... Yeah, adding, I mean, it's a better card than Jace. Yeah. You know, I that, think that card, that card's power level is really, really high, and I think it would be like yeah, it's, one. Of it's the, the highest of the five. You know, that's that's obvious. So I agree with you that I, I agree with you that it's the only dangerous one. Yeah, that's the one that would worry me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I could see arguments for it, but yeah, I would love to see the other ones in Pioneer at some point. Though Tarmogoyf is kind of like you know, uh, it's one of the iconic cards of modern, I think. And if you want Pioneer to have a really separate identity, it might be good to keep it out. Dark Confidant, though, has fallen out of, you know, significant play in Modern. It came back a little bit when Luris and Companions were big, uh, just because of that. But that's the kind of card that, like, you know, maybe could see play in Pioneer, really. Like, Mono Black Aggro would, would play it, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I, I think so. I imagine they would. I, th I think so. Especially in certain matchups, right? Like, there's some matchups where, like, you probably wanted to be more, like aggressive in the fact that you just want all you you're casting all your spells and you're not really worrying about accruing card advantage but then there's matches where you would so like i can see like playing a non-four amount in your deck and maybe or maybe i mean i've played them in sideboards of decks before i actually had a delver deck for like a year that i was playing a bug delver deck where i had i had dark confidant in my sideboard yeah so i would love to see dark confidant in the format because it just doesn't see a lot of play in the older formats right now so that pro that means it's probably at a power level that is good for pioneer I, I'll say this, if you put Dark Confidant and Termogoyf in the thing, you might see, like, old-school Jun-like deck. You know, a deck with, like, Termogoyf, Dark Confidant, Push, uh, Abrupt Decay, Thoughtseize, a lot of those cards together, and, like, maybe even Luris in the deck, and just put yeah. all of them together. Fuck it, just, you know, all those cards together. 
Let's do it. Yeah, I, I think this question is great, and I would love to see something like that happen. And I do think there's a chance something like that happens. Uh, I remember in the past, we talked about cards we would want to get printed, and I've mentioned Thalia Garden of Thraven before being a card that I think would be good for the format. Next question comes from Lee McLeod, one of my uh, favorite listeners of the show. What deck does Ross really enjoy that he'd want to see Tannen play for any reason? Example, like make him miserable, etc. Uh, then same question, but flip. Tannen deck for Ross. Ross, do you have an answer? I have two answers. Sure. One... I would like you to play Is It Phoenix, but a year and a half ago, when you and Jim Davis just steadfastly refused to play Is It Phoenix while it was the best deck, even though I was yelling at both of you every tournament to do so. Fair. Fair. Um, but now, not so much. Now, I just, I would want to watch you play Legacy Storm. I knew there was going to be answers Legacy Storm, and just fuck no. <laughs> like, yeah. my head would explode. I wouldn't even exactly. know how to sequence. Like, I would literally, it, honestly, I would draw my card for the turn. Like, you know, if it's turn one, it would go up to eight or seven. And it would just be like Ricky Bobby. Like, what do I do with my hand? Like, I don't... Yeah. I don't what, do I, what do I do? What do I do? See, I don't... I, w- yeah. I would stand behind Tannen, and I would have I would have a spin down D20, like I'm currently holding it in my hand right now, and I would set it down right next to him. And every time he made a mistake, I would just tick it up. And we would see where the die went. <laughs> I would just I would just draw my card and then put my hand on the table face up and t- ask my opponent, be like, I think you're dead, right? Because they would probably know the deck better than me. But anyway, um, for me, for for you to play, I think I would like to watch you play. And not just because you're miserable, but just from the same kind of aspect you were saying with the the storm thing. I think you'd be less miserable than I would. Is I'd like to watch you play like Grixis Delver at its height, like through the legacy tournaments that I had to play, and see what your win loss record would be like versus mine, and like watch you take the different lines that we would take. I actually played that deck in one tournament, but it was during the dig through time era, so it was a little bit different. And it was like that, you know, dig made some of the other decks better, like Omnitel. Um, but I, I did not do particularly well. It was at Eternal Weekend, I, and all I can remember is losing a Delver Mirror to Bob Huang. Yeah, just I think, the literal master. <laughs> where I, I just like both games I lost were just the games where you get wastelanded out early. And so I was like, God damn it. Like, I, I hate when games like that happen when I get paired against good players because I just want to, you know, have that test of skill. Yeah. I want to have, like, that's when you want to have really good games because they, you know, they're even that much better uh, when, you know, you get to start working on completely different levels because that's when you get really creative. Uh, and it just, you know, didn't really happen that way. Just the games are kind of simple and straightforward and I lost. Um, but I've, I've played a little bit of Delver and Legacy. I actually... I one of my invitational top eights. This was shortly after that time, the, the open where I first played Storm. After the uh, after the dig through time and after the Treasure Cruise ban, because I was playing Storm at that at that open. Because in the Treasure Cruise era, the uh, Delver decks were playing a lot more removal, like Forked Bolts main to beat up beat opposing young Pyromancers, and they weren't really playing Spell Pierce. And so I thought if they're not going to play Spell Pierce and they're just going to putz around with all this removal. I don't give a fuck if they have treasure crews. Like, I can beat a Force of Will or two. And I was right. You know, you, you were act- actively good in those matchups. And then there ended up being, like, control decks in those formats that just outgrinded the Delver decks and still played treasure crews. And, like, I played against one of those in the top eight. And it was, you know, comical. Uh, because it was, like, it was like the Delver deck that had, but with more removal and a worse clock. <laughs> yeah, which is where you actually want to be in the mirror. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, like, they, they were like a Delver deck that was pre-boarded for the mirror. Yeah, like, pe- uh, people Yeah, people think of Delver as a, as a Tippo deck in Legacy, and it is. But whenever you play the mirror, if the if the Wasteland thing doesn't happen like you're talking about, it's a Jund mirror. Though, I would end up playing... When I played Delver mirrors, I would play them like a Tempo mirror. 
where like I would just try to get ahead and force a value off the key spells. So I actually like play the Delvermere different than most people because I'm just way more comfortable playing those games. Uh, and but I, that's only if I have Tarmogoyf in my Delver deck. Like I, I would never I would never do it if I didn't have Tarmogoyf because you need to have the best creature. Now there's things like Gourmet Angler too, and and the, but this was like you know six years ago. Uh, small aside, Bob is the first person I talk to if I like I have an idea or want to talk about Delver decks. He's like literally my first go to. Bob is the literal master. I top aided an invitational playing Sultai Delver, you know, a, a month or t- two months later. You probably played my list, just saying. It, no, I built I built a list. Uh-huh, I'm sure you did. And I went seven zero and one, IDing the last round in the legacy rounds of this tournament. And the deck was great. And I beat I beat Reed Duke on Miracles. I beat Brian Brown Dewan on Miracles. I beat Dan Muster on Miracles because I built my deck to crush Miracles. <laughs> and I beat Philip Braverman on Storm. Though he punted both games. And I beat James Rankowitz in a Delver Mirror, uh, who's a Legacy Ringer, for those who don't know, has won a Legacy Grand Prix uh, in Providence 2011. A, a, a Grand Prix that I should have top aided. And uh, uh, who are my other two matches? I think my other two matches weren't as memorable, but th- th- those were five of the seven rounds of Legacy I played with my Sultai Delver deck. <laughs> So not not bad. I'll play some Delver. Yeah, not bad. It's one of those decks that like it matches me, my play really well, but I've always found different decks to play. I would just want to be able to watch you play it, and yeah, with, with you knowing I'm watching, because you would be so unsure. Like I know oh, it yeah. would get in your head. Oh, it would definitely get in my head. Like I wouldn't I would... be as bad about it, if Storm, because I have no fucking clue what I'm doing anyway. So I would just be like a like an idiot pushing buttons. You're actually like yeah. a competent Magic player that becomes self aware. You know? You're... Oh yeah, it's a very different dynamic. Uh, you know, th- these two answers look very similar, but they're actually very different. Yeah, I like both of them. Yeah, exactly. All right, last question. You both happen to live on Ravnica. I, I like this idea. Uh, what guilds do you feel you belong in? Which one would you want to be in the most? I feel like a lot of people would answer Azurius or is it for me? You know, kind of like what we talked about earlier. But the answer is secretly Demir. I would be sneaky. I would be devious. <laughs> so Demir. <laughs> yeah. See the, That or, the, hey... Uh, that or um, my other answer is actually the one that I think your answer should be, and I'm interested to see what your answer actually is. So, what was your response? Go ahead. So the here's the thing: this question on the surface is like, you know, what guild do you like? But the answer is very different when you're asking what colors do I play in Magic, and where would I live, and like what guild would I be as a person? And so, like, you know, Magic, Magic wise, I'm like, is it in Simic? I know but what guild as you a would person, be. I'm Selesnya. I see. I completely disagree. I think you got one half of the colors right. <laughs> what? Where are you putting me? You're fucking gruel, man. You are one hundred percent. I'm too pensive to be gruel. No, you're not. When it comes to like your politics and the way that you view the world, you are gruel. No, yeah. no, no, no. That is just not true. Gruel till you die, baby. You are. You are definitely a gruel mage. No, no, no. Yeah, you would. You would. You would. You would be in the re- in the streets with broken buildings around you with the face paint on, yelling "gruel or die." No, that's some that I mean, if that's what the situation calls for, then sure. Yeah, but like an Azurius person's not doing that. A Celestia person's I'm, not I'm, doing that. You're be like all well, tranquil no, and shit. I so that's the that's the goal. That's what you're working towards, and that's why I'm Celestia. But I've got a little. I've got I've got some fire in there. Okay, it's like Celest. I'm Celestia with a red spot. So you know, that's what I'm saying. You'd be like. I'm thinking of uh, what Tristani would wear, that weird dress with, like, the, the shoulder things, whatever. You, you'd have yeah. that on, and then something would set you off, and you'd Hulk Hogan that thing right off, and you'd just have, like, the gruel insignia tattooed across your chest. <laughs> and you'd be like, let's go! Or whatever, and, you know, get all excited and stuff, so. I've definitely got, I've definitely got some fire there. Yeah. 
So the, there's a red splash in there. That uh, that I completely agree with. And yeah, you're definitely Demir. Yeah, I'm definitely Demir. Yeah, so I'm I'm Naya and Tannen's Demir. So you know, together we're a complete protein. There we go. I like it. Um, before we start to get into the the, the closing of the show, I do want to mention our um, our sponsor that we picked up recently, Barrister and Man. Um, this is something that I. I actually believe in their products. I've been using it quite a bit lately. Um, I mentioned it on the I've been last. Using it every day. Yeah, I was say I use it. Almo- I use it almost every day. Well, one of them. Uh, the one that I like the most, I don't use every day because I don't shave every day. But the ones that I like the most is I have the shave butter and the shave brush. And I'll say this: I have never done that kind of shave myself. Right? I'd always gotten something like that when I went to a barbershop and got a shave there, or he got like a professional shave. Right? And I always wondered, like, oh, is it really that different or whatever? It, it actually is. Like. It exfoliates, it moisturizes. Like I'll tell you this, the shave is cleaner, smoother, and better than any one that I've ever had. My skin doesn't break out as much. And it's not like it probably takes you an extra like maybe five minutes. Uh, it's probably an extra thirty seconds. Yeah, honestly, because like you just run some water over the brush or whatever, because because you, you have to be able to like make a lather out of like the the butter or whatever. The and, sh- and you want to heat it a little bit. Yeah, I always heat it a little bit. Yeah, I always actually whenever I'm about to do any kind of shaving or whatever, I actually just turn the hot water on on my faucet or whatever and i put the i put the razor like into it because i want the razor heated yeah as well and then um also it kind of like sterilizes it too as well you know what i mean like a, like a little bit it keeps the the you know the, the warmth whatever helps but it helps your skin too right and so i always put like a you know a, a damp wet warm cloth on my face before i do it and then you lather it up and like i, I think it actually extends the length the, the, the life of my blade as well because i feel like it's just smoother and easier you, you get what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I don't feel that drag. I don't feel that tug kind of thing. It just feels better. And then, uh, like, you know, the soaps and stuff I use almost every day. Because, like, here's the thing. I, I go a day without showering every now and then. If I'm if I'm not doing much and I'm just tired, I just go to bed, man. Like Yeah, but do you have the hand soap? I do. That's what I'm saying. I use the hand soaps yeah, and stuff as well. I use that every day. I will say, uh, I got some... Uh, the the, the, the owner was talking to us. William was talking to us the other day about um, some new bars of, uh, of bath soap that are, like, minty fresh. And I was like, dude, that sounds perfect for like summer, right? He's like, it's got like peppermint and spearmint in it. And like, I'm not a fan of that taste, but have you ever like used soap or, uh, or shampoo, <laughs> soap or shampoo? Sorry. Sorry. Just... Have you ever used soap or shampoo? Sorry. I'm but like, I had some ever stop. Have you ever used soap? <laughs> Real quick. Tannen. Uh, no, I had a... no, I've never in my life used soap. Look, I've never done it. That sounded funny. I got a business call literally right when that happened. I don't know if they could hear my phone vibrating on this thing or whatever. And I looked down. I don't know if you saw me. I looked down to see who it was, and my brain just stopped. You know what I mean? <laughs> so um, I was like, why are they calling me right now? But it is around close of day. But anyway, um, have you ever used something that has, like, peppermint or spearmint in it, like, as either soap or shampoo? You can, like, feel it. You know what I mean? You can, like, feel the difference. And you're like, you're, like it's one of those things, like, you know it's working. Yeah, I've I've used uh, a mint scented shampoo and conditioner before. It just feels cool, like you feel it on your scalp yeah. and stuff more, and I don't know, just you feel more clean, if that makes sense. And I'm not gonna lie, I, it is nice at the end of a hot day. Uh, like here's the thing, like right after the, the shower, right after you cut the grass, or like right after a basketball game or something, you know, when you're like you're you know you're you know what I'm talking about when you have to like take your shirt off and it's like sticking to you, like yeah, and you get that like you know not cold but cool water. Right at that temperature, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's like literally the best. But that's how I shower every day over the summer. Yeah, they have a hu- sometimes twice a day. Yeah, they have a huge uh, swath of products. It's Barrister and Man. Uh, we're going to be tweeting out about that sometime this week because we have a we have a code that goes along with it, 
where you can get a percentage off on all of your orders. And I'm going to be doing a giveaway in some way. I got to, I got to get the details of it down or whatever, because um, I have a bottle of cologne from them. It's a very nice bottle of cologne. I don't personally wear cologne. So I want to make sure that somebody gets it besides Ross, because I don't need Ross to have more, more stuff. They sent me a bottle of cologne. God don't damn worry. it. I was hoping they wouldn't, but um, but yeah, make sure you use our code. It is uh, PioneerCast, and I believe they fixed the quirk. There was like a small quirk with it working with another discount that, that happened on the site, and he said that he was going to be working on it in the next few days. I know they had a new product launching, so they were, they were kind of, you know, uh, they had their hands full, right? This is this is not a big conglomerate. This is a, uh, you know, one of our listeners, this, he owns this company, and he's a, he's a self-proclaimed soap nerd, right? And I was one of those people, like, I never thought about that kind of stuff too much, and then he like just reached out and he's like, yeah, have you ever tried any of this stuff? He's like, I just like went through his, I went through his website. I sat there next to my wife and pulled it up on, uh, on the iPad, I sat next to Natalie and we we're looking at the iPad, looking through all the stuff. And I was like, yeah, I, I could, I could mess with some of this stuff. And I got it. And I like the next couple of days, she's like, how is it? I'm like, I'm upset. I can, I can never not have this now. Like I'm obsessed now. I just have to have it. So, uh, make sure you use our code. We're gonna be tweeting about it. Um, just check out their, check out the products. It's pretty cool. Especially with like being at home more. And stuff now, you know, you're not on the go. You're not like running as much as you used to. Like you got some more time to treat yourself. Kind of like you said earlier, get yourself something nice, you know? Yeah. Just take, take care of yourself. You're using like, you know, you know, a really nice soap. Like it's, there's definitely a difference there. With better products in it too. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, just, yeah. And skin is something that people really neglect a lot. I'm raising my hand. Something I'm starting to, uh, try to not neglect as much, you know, I've been bad about it in the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you, you can, if you're a person who at all cares, you know, about aging, you know, the best way to look younger is to take care of your skin. And like, that's the biggest thing for me, right? Is I'm starting to look my age. And like, you used to always joke that, you know, I look way younger than you, even though I'm five years older than you, you know, and um, that's, a, that's a big thing for me is I was kind of, I was kind of rough on my skin the last few years. I think a lot had to do with the different climates that I would subject myself to, like living wise. I went from like, one of the mo- most like humid areas in the country to the driest area in the country and then back multiple times. So I think I messed up my skin doing that kind of thing enough. Cause I just, I went from like not needing moisturizer really to like heavily needing moisturizer, not realizing it, you know, like living out in yeah. Vegas and stuff. So um, it's so dry there. Yeah. So again, that is barrister and man with two ends. So check out their stuff. We'll have a link up. Um, I'll probably put it up in the, uh, the discord and stuff as well. Uh, to make sure so, so people have full access to this, but Definitely check out their products. Really cool owner, really cool guy. He's he's in our Discord. If you have any questions, uh, I'll I'll find out what his Discord name is. I'm not sure if it's his if it's his real name. I don't necessarily know if he wants us to give out his real name, but his name's Will. But um, I'll find out who he is in the Discord. You can add him and ask him about some of his products, and hey, you know, give him some feedback. You know, if hey, I really liked this, or hey, you know, like if you're thought about doing, you know, uh, this scent or whatever on this, you know, any constructive criticism is great too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I was about to say. Um, I didn't think we'd have a long episode this week because we didn't really have a ton to talk about. And here we are at the two hour and 15 minute mark. I, I missed you, Ross. Yeah. So here's the thing. We didn't have a lot magic wise to talk about. And that's part of the reason that we didn't do an episode last week, um, especially pioneer wise. And, uh, and, uh, but you know, we always have non-magic things to talk about. Tana. And so now we had two weeks of non-magic things to talk about. Plus, I mean, like you brought up baseball, so like I could have talked the entire time about that. So I don't know, but yeah, that is true. Anyway, if people wanted to hear more of your opinions, read more of your opinions, watch more of your opinions, where would they go? 
Uh, so, uh, best place to go for all that is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunneds, R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Um, then uh, after that, there are my articles on StarCityGames.com. They go up on Tuesdays. This week's article is about Jund Shadows. Ari actually wrote about Jund Shadow Modern on Monday, and I had some pretty firm disagreements with him about the deck. So you get my take and where I agree with Ari, where I disagree. So that, that's a good... Uh, It'd be good to read both articles concurrently, uh, and both are live now. Um, then there is uh, Versus Live, the sh- uh, web show I do twice a week with Corey Baumeister. Um, we are not actually doing uh, shows this week. We're on a small hiatus. Don't worry, we will be back. There's nothing threatening us long term. Um, but normally we air Tuesdays and Thursdays, 1 to 4 Eastern. We have a great time playing you know, all sorts of formats. We take questions live from the audience. So it's a good time. Uh, good thing to catch live, but if you can't do that for you know work or whatever reason, they do go up on YouTube the next day now uh, at oh, five. The next day, yeah, nice. they, they they hustle and get them out the next day, so thir- uh, at five p.m. Eastern. So you can catch them on the Star City Games YouTube channel as well. And then there is my stream with no versus live this week. I'm streaming a ton this week, basically every day. A lot of moderate and a lot of standard because the SCG Tour Online Season Two kicks off this weekend, and I will be playing and streaming that event on Saturday. Uh, but I'm mixing it up between modern and that and Sunday I plan on playing the modern challenge. So, uh, the, you know, the week, basically during the week I stream my testing and then on the weekend I stream whatever tournaments I'm playing. Uh, and we have a good time there as well. A lot of cube drafting between rounds of constructed. Uh, my Twitch handle is just Ross underscore Miriam. Uh, and you can find me there and I appreciate any and all support. Tannen. If they want to hear more of your baseball opinions, where should they go? Well, you can hear my baseball opinions, amongst other things, on my Twitter, at the Tannen Grace. Um, a lot of stuff going on there. I'm usually pretty responsive on there if you tag me and stuff as well. Um, I do have a Twitch channel that I have been neglecting lately. It is just Tannen Grace, but uh, I have some cool stuff in the works that could or could not involve Ross in the future. So make sure you look out for that. We have uh, we have some things that we're, we're uh, some ideas we're throwing around. So I'm looking forward to possibly venturing back into that more often. In the future, so make sure you look out for that. Uh, as for the cast itself, it does have a Twitter. We'd really appreciate if you gave it a follow. It's at Cast Pioneer. Super easy there. Um, lots of discussions and stuff going on there. All the latest news, newest episodes, uh, you know, a possible giveaway in the future, and links to anything we're going to be talking about here on the show will also be on our Twitter. Speaking of links on our Twitter, there's a link to that Discord that we mentioned. Our Discord is hopping off. I'm a big fan of being in it every single day. Lots of cool stuff going on there. Lots of great magic discussions. Lots of great non-magic discussions in there. Um, in that Discord, there are channels that you can only get in if you're a patron. And that's if you contribute to our Patreon. And that's at patreon.com slash pioneercast. Look, the best way that you can support us is by listening. We really appreciate each and every one of you. We're sorry that we weren't here last week. We will make it up to you, I promise. And we'll be here again next week. Uh, we're not going anywhere. Um, the show will survive. <laughs> we Literally not going anywhere. Yeah. You know, there's a, yeah. a virus. There's a virus out. We can't go anywhere. We can't, don't go outside. Put a mask on. Anyway. Um, but yeah, that's at patreon.com slash pioneercast. So if you do feel like you, you can support us monetarily and a little extra, um, you know, Brent needs to keep his lights on while he's doing the, uh, the editing. Somebody's, somebody's got to pay that man. Right. In fact, uh, he actually just took his first cut the other day. Like, you know, he'd like he'd been like saving up some of the money. I guess that's probably better than taking a small percentage. You get like the one big percentage at some time. 
you know like, yeah that's generally how i prefer to do yeah, it yeah it's nice yeah he gave me some money too for the first time i hadn't taken any money yeah yeah I, I did recently to, to do some stuff and we had paid for you know a bunch of stuff for the cast like you know yeah yeah, yeah exactly because like we we almost always re- put it back into the cast in some way yeah you you handle all the accounting I, yeah i just sit here and talk well it is my job so uh yeah but yeah so if, if you do want to contribute to that we we heavily appreciate it we do have stuff coming for people in the future we have tokens that we have made that we're going to send out really soon as we're all pulls him off of his desk right now. <laughs> yeah. Let's say that he's got, um, we'll probably get to that pretty soon. And we got a couple other things in the work, but, but uh, the patrons also do get a special episode here or there. You know, we did one, what about four weeks ago, three, four oh, weeks ago. Wasn't that long ago. It's been about Maybe. three weeks at least. I think time and time is a, an illusion. Yeah. But we do some, some cool stuff for the, for the patrons where we do a specific episode where you get to ask questions and you get to lead the entire episode. You know, if you can, you want to ask magic related stuff. You want to hear about your specific desk, deck in legacy, standard, historic, modern, whatever format, uh, two headed giant popper. You know, whatever whatever format floats your boat. You can ask in there. You want to know about Ross's favorite craft beer? You can ask that there. You want to hear about you know a baseball story that I like? You can ask me there. I got some cool ones and stuff like that. So lots of fun stuff there. Um, there's patron only uh, parts of the Discord as well where you get to ask questions on the show live like that long segment that we did today. Plus, if we're ever playing in tournaments, we're also a little bit more than me right now. We post our deck list with sideboarding guides on there too. Yeah. You will get that for both of these tournaments this weekend mm-hmm. if you join the Discord. What's, what's the joke about it being $3? Join my $3, disc- uh, my $3 Discord or whatever? There's a joke about that? Yeah, my $3 Patreon. Well, our lowest one is $2. There you go. We're beating it by a buck. So less than a coffee from Starbucks per month. Uh, we'd really appreciate your support. They call that the old undercut. Oh yeah, we're, get, we're getting them good, Ross. We're getting them coming and going. I like it. But... Everybody, thank you for listening this week. We really appreciate it. We'll see you all next week.